When NASCAR fans tune in to the Daytona 500 this weekend, they'll see a new team on the track. Boxer Floyd Mayweather is unveiling a new NASCAR team, the Money Team Racing, at this year's race. Lawrence Drake is the dean of the College of Business and Entrepreneurship at Bethune-Cookman University. WMFE's Talia Blake spoke to Drake about this move and the diversity in the sport that's not usually seen. Mayweather is used to, you know, winning in the ring, but the track could be a different story. What are the incentives to make a move like this? I think one of the incentives is that a number of his uh, contemporaries, those in other uh, walks of life, but more importantly, those who are black, who have a successful career and who've made enough money, uh, see this as a real opportunity and Part of what I think is a much more and a much larger familiarity with NASCAR. So, for example, Emmett Smith and Michael Jordan have both founded teams. And I think, you know, this gives uh, Mayweather an opportunity to join the celebrity group of owners. And unlike a lot of other sports, like professional football, uh, the price of entry isn't nearly as high but certainly something that's needed. You mentioned football and Mayweather joining, you know, a few other black owners. I mean, do you know how many black owners there are in NASCAR and how that does compare to other sports like football or baseball? Well, they already have more than than baseball and football. (laughs) So uh, just with Michael Jordan, Emmitt Smith, and now Floyd Mayweather, they also have the uh, IMF partnership So they have a fundamental group of folks who have come together to create different things. They already have a track president that is black. So when you look at some things in terms of owners and ownership, they've passed both baseball and football. And Daytona is expecting some, you know, 100,000 people to be in town for the race this weekend. What are the demographics of those people who will be attending? You know, sometimes I feel like there's this misconception that black people don't watch NASCAR. So, you know, who, who's watching the race this weekend and who's attending? I'm glad you asked the question that way because it really is two separate questions. I think there are many more people, particularly of late, who are getting more familiar with the sport via social media platforms and television. Probably different than what you might see in the stadium itself because I think that is a a standard of people who've attended the race for many years. That said, I think what you're starting to see is women and African-Americans and Latinos be attracted to the sport and are starting to get engaged. And I think in future years, you probably will see see the track be much more diverse. Not just the audience is changing and evolving, but the leadership is changing too. You know, you have a both, as I mentioned earlier, track president who's black, Also, your chief HR leader for NASCAR is also black. And so the France family continues to evolve. And I think it's fabulous that they are doing the things that are necessary. I can tell you, with respect to BCU, we are going to be much more involved at their invitation with NASCAR as we go forward. And so we're really excited about that, too. Can you talk a little bit about that partnership you just mentioned between BCU and NASCAR? The France family has been donors to BCU for many years. What we're now really embarking on is a very aggressive plan to do internships 
in key positions within NASCAR. The other thing that we intend to do is not just have internships, but actually work on the kinds of things that lead to leadership positions within the NASCAR community. So it's not just about understanding that. And as a matter of fact, as a side note, NASCAR and I are working on an idea to bring the Business of Sports Summit, which NASCAR would be a centerpiece of, to BCU and to Daytona Beach. That was BCU's Dean of the College of Business and Entrepreneurship, Lawrence Drake, speaking with WMFE's Talia Blake. Earlier today, L.A. County firefighter Dennis Vineyard was shot and killed battling a blaze at a suspected Compton drug den. We're at the Vineyard home right now, and uh, Lieutenant Vineyard's oldest son, Derek, has agreed to uh, talk with us for a moment. Derek, if you could come down here, please, for just a second. Look, I know this is tough, but um, how do you feel right now? How do you think I feel? I think it's typical. Typical how? Well, this country's becoming a haven for criminals, so what do you expect? You know, decent, hardworking Americans like my dad are getting rubbed out by social parasites. Parasites? Blacks, browns, yellow, whatever. I don't understand. You're saying that you think maybe your father's murder was race-related? Yeah, it's race-related. Every problem in this country is race-related, not just crime. It's like immigration, AIDS, welfare. Those are problems of the black community, the Hispanic community, the Asian community. They're not white problems. Derek, aren't those really issues that deal more with poverty? No, you know, no. They're not products of their environments either. That's crap. Minorities don't give two shits about this country. They come here to exploit it, not to embrace it. What does this have to do? I mean, millions of white European Americans came here and flourished, you know, within a generation. So what the fuck is the matter with these people? They have to go around shooting at firemen. What does this have to do with the murder of your father? Because my father was murdered doing his job, putting out a fire in a fucking nigger neighborhood he shouldn't have even given a shit about. He got shot by a fucking drug dealer who probably still collects a welfare check. I'm sorry. They are clips of a conversation. Darby Township says it was made aware of this recording last night, reportedly of members of the Briarcliff Fire Company, after a January 27th meeting about fire service in the township. The recording was made after the meeting officially ended. Elected officials left, and that's when complaints about the township and other fire companies and its members began. It's unclear who's doing the talking. The recording came to light when members of the Goodwill Fire Company reported it to the township leaders. After that report was made, the township suspended Briar Cliff until the district attorney investigates. We're not going anywhere until we get the justice that we need and have those folks removed and be accountable for the racist statements that they made. Crystal lives in Darby Township, and she says after hearing of the recording, she wants to know if the language used has other consequences. When I got this information, it bothered me because it makes you wonder how many calls that we made that they didn't come on time to save a life. According to a letter sent by Goodwill Fire Company to Darby Township, the people being recorded were making threats and made fun of an eight-year-old girl who was killed by police at a football game. And to have these kind of actions taken and these kind of remarks made is just unacceptable by county council, 
we will continue to do what we have to do to make sure this does not happen again in Darby Township or any other township or borough. The county, backed by state and local government leaders, say the fire company is volunteer. It has no control over the organization, but it can prevent the volunteer service from responding to calls. The patience for people of color is over. There is no more ramp up to say, well, we'll fix it five minutes from now, 20 minutes from now, 20 days from now, 20 years from now. That patience is gone. All of us who say we want to remove systemic racism starts with places like that. Broke barriers joining the Decatur Fire Department and rose through the ranks. That's right. And as we celebrate Black History Month, WAND News talked to the first black deputy fire chief for the city and his legacy of service. Jerry Taylor never intended to be the city's first black firefighter. He was working at a manufacturing plant and wanted something different. So being a firefighter wasn't really in your plan. I mean, this no. just kind of happened. You missed yep. the test, then you go back to take the yep. test, and you pass. Yep. And, uh, and, and then you join the department in the 70s. Yes, they called me, and I answered <laughs> you answered the call. Yes, I did. Yeah, exactly. He stood out not just for his color, but his approach to the job. I, I've run across a lot of situations, uh, you know, tragic situations that you really couldn't do anything about. But you, even those that uh, were affected by it, you could put your arms around them and, and support them. Taylor would face discrimination, sometimes blatant, recalling a day sitting outside the firehouse. A lady... Hung out the window, her body out the window. Car was going by, and I heard the words very clearly. Get out of my firehouse. And I heard it. Taylor says flames don't know color, and he climbed the ladder, soon to captain, and then to a newly created position of fire inspector. In 1996, he became acting fire marshal and then fire marshal. Not only was uh, the, that job in, involved inspections, but it involved investigations, it involved prevention, and everything else. And, and, and that was very interesting to me. I've been in almost every building here in Decatur, in every, every nook and corner. He helped develop the former fire cadet program, teaching youth about discipline and fire safety. In fact, that year, he and I went along checking smoke detectors of local homes. It's been an experience for me, an educational experience. Taylor would be recognized for his accomplishments, but it was his empathy that stood out. That fire was someone's home. That person laying there injured was someone's father, mother, or child. You know, I always put my arms around the person I could help and come. Taylor would retire in 2001 as deputy fire chief, leaving a legacy that focused on preventing fires. Everybody wants to have the big trucks and pull in and, and shoot water, but if you can prevent that before it happens, you save a lot of manpower, life, and, and property. Now in retirement, Taylor enjoys spending time with his wife and family in Decatur. Thanks so much to Jerry Taylor for taking the time to share his story. Now one thing we can all do, check our smoke, and CO detectors, and invest in a new 10-year battery-sealed smoke alarm to avoid those annoying chirps.
We're going to wrap up the show today by taking your calls if you've ever lied on a job application. If so, what did you lie about and why? 212-433-WNYC. Was it small stuff, like saying you worked for a company for a month longer than you did? Or was it big stuff, like making up a whole graduate degree or, say, a whole new identity? We've heard some of those stories. One poll estimates that over 75% of job applicants lie on their resume. Do you believe that? In other words, it's more common to lie than not to lie. But here's what got us thinking about this right now. A recent New York Times article had a story about a crazy lie only possible in the Zoom era. And it got us thinking whether you, our listeners, might have some stories along similar lines that other listeners could learn from. Here's what happened. According to reporter Emma Goldberg, one job applicant who was applying for a remote work position got his friend to answer for him during the job interview while the actual applicant sat in front of the Zoom camera and moved his lips ventriloquist style. Can you believe it? The hiring panel eventually realized and someone blurted out, the person answering the questions isn't the person on camera, which prompted an audible gasp from the rest of the team. Spoiler, he did not get the job. Surprised? but said he thought he could get away with it because they'd never meet him in person. So listeners, even if it wasn't that extreme, we want to hear from you. Have you ever lied on your job application or done a fake in any way? What did you say? What did you do? Samuel in Newark, you're on WNYC. Hi, Samuel. Hey, how's it going, Brian? Good. What did you do? Uh, So... I pretty much have to lie on just about every job application I put in because I did not actually graduate from high school. Uh Uh-huh. And so what do you say? What do you put down? Uh, I just usually put that I did. Right. And you didn't go on? I find that if I don't, I just... Yeah, I find that if I don't, I don't. You you don't get... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. you, You don't get very far. Do you go further and say you went to college? No, I haven't gone that far. I feel that's more likely to get checked. And I guess nobody checked on your high school diploma. Yeah, nobody bothers to look into that. Samuel, thank you very much. Charlotte in Jersey City, you're on WNYC. Hi, Charlotte. Hi. um, I actually have two things. One, I, too, didn't, like your previous caller, I didn't finish college I went to about 10, but never got a degree, and I used the first college that I went to, which was Kirkland College in upstate New York, which no longer exists. Mm -hmm. So that was good. And then my second one was I got into textile design, and when you do, back in the day, you'd have to go to mills in rural Georgia or Connecticut, whatever, and you had to do mill work to make sure that everything... And I had no millwork experience, but it's the catch-22. You can't get millwork experience without having mill, you know. So I would lie and say I had millwork experience, and then the wonderful guys down at the plants would teach me what I was supposed to do, and then it became a legitimate thing on my resume. So those are my two lies. I don't feel bad about them, Mm -hmm. and nobody ever caught me. Um, Do you think you would have gotten... Uh, kind of kicked off the top of the list if you didn't have a college degree? Probably not in most of the fields that I worked in. I worked in the 
theater production. I worked in textile design. None of them are kind of cerebral or degree necessary. It's all kind of work experience stuff. So I would doubt that anybody would have even checked any of that stuff because I presented as a pretty articulate, smart person. Yes. Charlotte, thank you very much. Ethan in Brooklyn, you're on WNYC. Hi, Ethan. Hey, how's it going, Brian? Um, I wanted to uh, share the story. Also, I had that catch-22 needing the experience to get the job and having no experience. So I lied and said I was a very experienced waiter to get a summer waiting tables job uh, while I was writing a screenplay. So they threw me on the first night of the season, high season, lots of tables. I was completely incompetent in over my head. I went up to one table and said, can I get you anything else? And they said, yeah, menu. I was giving people their own bottles of wine to open them. It was a complete disaster. I was quickly (laughs) fired, begged my way back into the job, and was summarily fired the next day again. So it gave me a lifelong appreciation for waiters and what a tough job that is. I am not opening my own bottle of wine at a table at a restaurant. I I just... Definitely not. It's outrageous. Ethan, thank you. Good luck. Stephen in the Bronx. You're on WNYC. Hi, Stephen. Hi there. Good morning. So what'd you lie about? Well, specifically, uh, my lie was 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 more part of the uh, uh, interview process as opposed to being on the resume. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lied about my salary. To make it look higher than it was I, in the past, exactly I presume. Because, <clears throat> yeah, and I think, to be honest, this uh, is something that I've shared with a lot of people in the years since because what I found was that I was uh, apparently so underpaid that when I would go out on these interviews to seek a new job, uh, invariably a question does come up about salary during the interview process. And I was kind of disqualifying myself because as soon as I told these prospective employers how much that I made, uh, they were aghast, kind of like me. And so it seemed to uh, be disqualifying me uh, from the running uh, because uh, um, what I perceived was that they thought, well, if he's making such a low salary, he can't be, uh, can't be uh, worth our time. And so what I did uh, was add $15,000 to my salary, uh-huh. and uh, lo and behold, I secured uh, the position that I wanted uh, at a very decent uh, increase, which, you know, for the first time in my life, I started to live a little. So there. That, that is a great story. And Stephen, thank you for your call. I'm going to use that as an opportunity to promote something on tomorrow's show. I'm actually going to be off tomorrow, back Friday. Um, Bridget Bergen is going to be filling in tomorrow, and she's going to have a segment about the job application process related to Stephen's story. It's about salary transparency. Did you know that hiring managers are up to 25% less likely to hire a candidate if that candidate even asks about salary or benefits, according to a story we saw, because the applicants get perceived as being greedy and not a team player? Well, Bridge is going to talk to the economist who conducted that study and talk about whether New York's new wage transparency law 
that seems to be in the works could solve that problem. So that should be an interesting conversation with Bridget tomorrow about wage transparency. Um, I'll be back on Friday. Lewis in Central Jersey, who I think has been on both the employee and employer side of this. Lewis, you're on WNYC. Hi there. Yeah, hi, how are you? So, yes, I, I padded my resume one time to put an extra month on to make it seem like I wasn't unemployed that long. I actually had my benefits last an extra month, so I put that extra month on. So a minor one, but I wanted to talk about as a hiring person, I speak Spanish, I'm a native Spanish speaker, and when people come into the office, you can't imagine how many people say that they speak Spanish. I can only speak about Spanish. I can't speak about any other language. Mm -hmm. And they come into the office, and I'm always asked to to translate, to, to have a conversation with this person to make sure they actually speak Spanish. And I can tell you the majority, the the percentage majority, do not speak Spanish at all. They cannot even put together a phrase. And I can't imagine why they thought they could get away with this. It surprises me. This one surprises me so much because if they needed to speak Spanish on the job, they would quickly come up incompetent if they really don't speak the language. So why do you think people lie about that? Uh, you know, it, it's it's a division of people. There were a couple people who, like, studied it in school, and they thought that that made them fluent. There was one guy who said to me, you know, I go on vacation to Costa Rica, and when I get there, I'm able to speak. After a couple of weeks, I pick it up really quickly. And then there was a guy who was a Latino descendant guy. He had a Latino look, Latino name, mm-hmm. but he was, you know, he had been living in the States since he was a kid. He lost his Spanish. But he thought that because his name was, you know, Rodriguez or Hernandez or whatever, that this entitled him to say that he was fluent in Spanish because his mom was fluent or something. And, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a dichotomy also because when they meet me, I'm what they call blanquito. I, I look white. You know, I don't look Latino. Mm-hmm. So they're like, who is this guy? Why is he interviewing me? And I interview them and I, I say to them in Spanish, hola, como esta? Dígame acerca de todo español. Tell me about your Spanish. And they sometimes just look at me with a deer in the headlights look. And these are, by the way, these are senior positions. Um, this is not, uh, you know, working in a restaurant. Not that I'm putting that down at all. Yeah. Please not. But I'm talking about working in big level corporations and right. big banks. That's yeah. where I work. And they, it's just think crazy. they can get away with it. Lewis, thank you for that story. John in Newark. You're on WNYC. Hi, John. Hey. Good morning, Brian. How are you today? Good. I hear you have a present tense story. I'm literally filling out an application as we speak, and my situation is that I am presently on a leave of absence, um, but somewhat as a technicality because I was terminated, but the fact that I'm on leave of absence classifies me as employed. So on my applications, I'm vexed as whether to put my end date from when I was terminated or that I am technically presently employed if anyone did a basic background check. And do you think the background checks are likely in your case and the jobs you're applying for? In, in my in my industry is pretty small and so a background check would be probably more personal, but it's it's a it, I'm also in the process of 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 challenging the termination, so it's ah. it's it's a, a position in in fluctuation. Thank you very much. Tricky position to be in. And I think these last couple of callers I'm going to get to are also in tricky positions where a lot of people might think they're justified. Karen in Manhattan, you're on WNYC. Hi, Karen. Karen, that you? We got you? 
Karen in Manhattan? Are you the person calling to talk about your arrest from a long, long, long time ago that you lie about? Play on words. Ah, there you go. Now we got you. Sorry, we didn't hear you before. You're on now. Hello, me? Hi. Hi, yeah, you. Hi. Hi. So, okay, I'll try to be as brief as possible. In 1988, 33 years ago, because I'm 55, Mm -hmm. uh, me and a friend, um, partner in crime, literally, okay, I was 19, went, thought it would be a great idea to go into a supermarket and take whipped cream cans and go in the back and spray them all around and inhale them, do whippets, whatever. Mm. We got caught, we got arrested. Fast forward, um, you know, I have a graduate degree, I'm a professional. (laughs) I never, ever in 33 years put it on my, on my application because, you know, it was like such a long time ago and it was so stupid, who cares? But some of them ask, yeah, and you have yeah, to on, say, no, I was never arrested. Yeah. Well, no, they don't ask you, in, like, you know, they just figure by the time you get in front of them, like, no no one ever asked. Uh, but the applications say, "Do you, have you ever been convicted of a crime? Yeah. And, um, and I was. It was obstruction of justice or something, because which is another story, maybe for the moth, because we lied to the police about our names. But anyway. Um, <laughs> but you never put it down, so, and you never got caught. And I'm going to have to end there, because we're out of time. Thank you for that. And, of course, there's a policy debate now about whether people who were arrested in the past and have served their time even should ever be allowed to be asked whether that happened or whether that's just another form of discrimination by today's standards. The other one that I wanted to get to, Lamar and Astoria, I'm sorry we're not, lies about their age because of age discrimination in the algorithms that might knock out the application. So thanks for all your interesting stories about lying on your job applications. Balancing her at-home beauty business with being a mom to two young children has become much more difficult during this pandemic. Today, as part of our Work in Progress series, we continue with a look at how single mothers are managing through COVID-19. Catherine Scott is a senior economist at the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. Single mothers have been one of the groups that have been most impacted by the pandemic in a myriad of ways. Single mothers as a group experience wide and large-scale losses when the pandemic hit in the spring of 2020. There was a precipitous drop in employment and hours of employment. And while most other groups started to rebound by the fall of 2020, single moms, particularly those with young kids under six, have struggled ever since. Even uh, the latest labor force data in two years in almost in December, uh, single mothers with young kids, 36% fewer hours. So that's an extraordinary number of women, thousands and thousands of single moms who are still working without employment or working much reduced hours. I'm joined now by three people who are living that experience every single day. Melissa Gorecki, we just heard from. She's on the line from her home in Brampton, Ontario, where she runs an eyelash extension business. Ramona Nanapragasam works as a personal support worker in Toronto and is a single mother of two children. And a woman we're calling Kelly, who does not want to be identified to protect her child's privacy. She works in project management and is a single mother in Edmonton. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Melissa, you have a lot going on. We just heard uh, what life is like for you. How difficult is it trying to keep your business going in the midst of all of this? 
Yeah, it's been really chaotic. Uh, I don't really have any other words for it. It's It's been um, almost impossible to manage. You know, I feel like I've been pulled in way too many different directions more than usual. It's been really hard. <laughs> what is the various levels of lockdown meant to that that chaos as you describe it because it's not as though it's been a consistent thing the things keep changing sort of week by week month by month what does that mean yeah exactly you know even actually i'm in ontario and we'll have provincial lockdowns but then even when the provincial lockdowns end we even have regional lockdowns i'm in brampton which was a hot spot and there was workplace lockdowns or restrictions and i'm in personal services and we were one of the last to open in uh, when restrictions were eased up. There was times when um, we would get the word that we are ready to open up again. And, you know, you start filling up your, your books and taking appointments and getting everything ready and um, situating childcare if needed. And then the following week, we get locked down again. And it was just a, a big mess. Ramona, tell us what you've been through. You, you're PSW now, but what was your work at the start of this pandemic? Um, the start during the start of the pandemic, I was working at a retirement home. I um, was also doing a retail job, and it was very hard at first because scheduling, because it was so early on to the pandemic, and I worked in the retirement with the retirement home setting. It was very different because how do I juggle the kids, right? Mm. Um, do I work? What if I get COVID? Um, it was so early on that nobody knew what what this this virus potential is, right? Um, but ch childcare was closed up until late August. At the time, I was I only had one daughter, so at the beginning, I would have to send her to my mom's house. She'll stay there for weeks. I'll get her for the weekend because I couldn't like I couldn't miss work. You mentioned that that you had um, just one daughter at the beginning of this, and then uh, yeah. you uh, had a second baby during the pandemic. During the pandemic, yes. Congratulations. Um, thank you. I mean, it's it's great, but it's also yeah. it's it's more in the midst of a difficult time. Exactly. So after when he came, so he was born in twenty twenty one of March. Um, it was also tricky because at that time I also went into school. Um, but juggling two kids, back and forth online learning, also working just the early on, just before I went on maternity leave, it was just a lot of back and forth, especially being pregnant and dealing with the lockdowns made things a lot difficult. I want to talk more about how you managed to find space for all of that, because it's a lot. But Kelly, tell me about your situation. What was happening with your work uh, when the pandemic hit? Yeah, so um, for me, I was working a full-time administrative job as well as a uh, part-time retail job and um, so when March 2020 hit um, I was laid off of um, my retail job and then you know a couple days later I was laid off from my other job um, via email without any sort of notice um, and so all of a sudden I was left with no income um, living in a jurisdiction that has an incredibly high cost of living um, you know, and being the sole income earner. And so it, it was before anything had really kicked in with CERB yeah. or, you know, no one really knew what was going on. So, you know, I, you know, kind of 
panicked and I thought, you know, I can't pay my rent. I can't pay my bills. So I, um, you know, fortunately, there was a, a job that was available not too far away in an industrial setting. And so within a week and a half of being laid off of both of my jobs, I um, sort of jumped into this this new role. You know, each day was away for long days, you know, that were really quite um, physically exhausting. But, you know, I felt I, I had no other choice. Um, and in doing that, I was leaving my 10-year-old son alone at home every day. And it was up to him to make sure he was getting the food he needed. You know, of course, I left things out and made things easy for him, but um, uh, he was left to do that. Um, he was left to figure out online schooling. Um, and just to add to that, you know, our apartment went on lockdown. And so essentially no one could could come in um, to support. That first bit was, was really tricky because I would come home really exhausted. Yeah. And then have hours of homework to do with my son, you know, and he uh, was feeling frustrated and he didn't know how to cope, um, understandably. And uh, yeah, it was a tricky situation. Melissa, we heard at the beginning just what it was like in your house trying to work, but also trying to figure out how to keep the kids entertained. Um, Being in business in your own home, um, how challenging was it to, to make sure that you were still able to take on clients, um, but also make sure that the kids didn't feel as though they were, they were just being left alone? Yeah. So, you know, I, I was actually pregnant in 2020 with my second as well. So the baby was born in September, 2020. And um, my son started JK at the same time um, and very quickly went into uh, school lockdowns. So, you know, I'm trying to juggle, like if I can take one or two clients and I'm breastfeeding, I'm trying to help my son with his uh, first year in school. Um, it was really hard. And a lot of my clients, like I've been in the industry for eight years mm. and a lot of my clients were very supportive and understanding. And I set them up with other lash techs nearby to try to tell them like, listen, I don't know when I'm going to be available. It's going to be very uh, erratic. So if you would like to transition to somebody else, um, these are my referrals. And some people stayed and just kind of went with the flow with me, which was amazing. Um, But it was just kind of enough to get by. When I did have clients, you know, I would try to, you have to pre-plan ahead, right? With, with two children, even just one, you have to pre-plan like, okay, are, what, is, what are they going to eat? Should I put the chicken nuggets in now? Um, and at what time are they, am I going to leave them in the toaster oven? Are they going to burn because I'm busy doing this work over here? It was, it's, <laughs> it's a lot of balls in the air. You can laugh about, you can laugh about it now, but I mean, it just sounds like, as you said, it, 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 it's more than juggling. Yeah, you laugh or cry, right? <laughs> Hola, mis amigos. Me amo, Gustavo. Necesitamos leer más. Necesitamos leer más. Estoy planquito. Or yo soy planquito. That's going to be my new one. I'm going to tell folks, I'm planquito. Don't let the uh, old Negro skin fool you. I am not Negro. I am Planquito. Throw a little bit of Spanish on him. I've never heard that in my life. Still learning. Planquito. He said, I look white. Puedo hablar español. Planquito. 
That is going to be my next one. You add the form, put Plonquito down and see what they say. You might be able to look like Lupita Nyong'o. She can do the Spanish. You could put Lupita Nyong'o and tell them I'm Plonquito. See what they say. Context of white supremacy, Gus T. In for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Friday, February 25, 2022. So I have been told this is our weekly broadcast, Neutralizing Workplace Racism. Uh, If you have figured out some things that work well, you don't have to lie on the application. Oh, yeah, I speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Mm, no <laughs> you don't have to do any of that craziness hey I'm qualified let's get it on like they don't mess you over on your salary they definitely don't mess you over if you are an attempted parent you have any sort of situation my children are having a tough time adjusting hey take a week off we support mamas we support papas like, hey, take a week off, work from home. Let us know when things are stable and come back. We value you. We value your family. That's the sort of environment that you have. You get all of your promotions. You get sparkling performance reviews every time. And they don't hold it against you. If you have to call in once or twice or three times, even take care of things with your children they don't come back and bring that up and oh man you would have got great scores but you know you had that two or three times you had to go home and tend to jamal you just gotta go home and worry about your little children you don't know if you're more concerned about being a parent or really being a valued team player so i don't know that doesn't happen if that is your position kudos to you Please be on speed dial. Share with us some tidbits, some details, as much detail as possible, really. See if we can try and replicate, get some of those creature comforts that you are enjoying. The number is 720-716-7300. Decode 564-943-POUND. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Email until justice at gmail.com until justice at gmail.com. Oh, I forgot. I cannot believe it. I cannot believe it. I might even have to wait. A listener sent in. Uh, it's not like it's just detailed a detailed report on workplace racism and uh, Rick James this Black History Month is dedicated to Rick James we miss you brother Rick James Um, I was going to get Rick James in one more but I'm going to get it Monday I might do it I might go ahead and share her report anyway Vegan RD I was going to get Rick James in I was going to get I'm so disappointed I'm so disappointed this has been the worst Black History Month ever. Uh, I think I'm going to be able to let this one go because we should be able to get Rick James in on Monday. So I will pacify myself. Let that go. Be patient with yourself. Say that sometimes. 
We will get Rick James on Monday. We should have had Rick James again and then again on Monday. <sighs> Coping as I may. The email is untiljustice at gmail.com. Full slate today. Today is almost one of those where, man, if you all wanted to spectate, we would still have like a full program because there were so many things and people did write in and all the rest of it. Like, man, we could do a good two hours and be like, well, y'all have another thing? Right on. Uh, let's see. Oof, I don't even know where to begin. Planquito. Let's see where to begin. Oh, we begin with the firefighters. That's where we begin. I have said for years when they do reports on white supremacy racism and probably some other subject matter as well let's all put our big girl and big boy pants on we're not going to have a censor bleep for everything that people say I couldn't even tell what they said in the audio recording where they were playing this is in Pennsylvania the Delaware County they were talking about the volunteer fire division the what is it, Briarcliff? That's it, the Briarcliff Fire Division in Pennsylvania. And so they got this recording, but they got all these bleep, and it's not like HD uh, recording or what have you, whatever type of recording that was used, they need to get, you know, come in. it's 2022, get a better recorder. But I couldn't even understand what they were saying. I had to go look online. I was really hoping, can we just get like a transcript of what they said? Like unedited. I don't need any redactions. Like if they cursed and coon this and, you know, nigger this and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard all that before. Just write it down. Uh, so I couldn't get the exact transcript. But a more detailed explanation of what was said in that report. The Delaware County District Attorney's Office plans to investigate the allegations. The Philadelphia Inquirer reported Thursday in the nearly two hour conversation, Briarcliff firefighters allegedly bemoaned how the time had come to leave the township because black residents continue moving into the area. Now, I know they didn't say it that way because they would have just played that without all the beeping. So was this the Negras are coming? The Coons are coming? The spirit chuckers are coming? Oh, my God, we got to castrate them and leave. Like, how exactly did they articulate their bemoaning of Negras? It continues. They also allegedly used racial slurs like what? When talking about members of the township's third volunteer firehouse. So now they're calling like coons and negras the other firefighters, non-white firefighters. Hmm. It continues. One firefighter is alleged to have mocked the name of an eight-year-old black girl, Fanta Billity who was killed by police gunfire in Sharon Hill last summer. That's the sort of thing I don't want redacted. If this is what was said, just, you know, be clear about it. And what Mr. Fuller say, stand by your work. Yeah, I mocked an eight-year-old coon. And? Mock you too. And? sitting around here. I'm tired of having all these coons moving into the area. area. Smoking crack. That was the audio segment from American History X. Not one of my favorite movies, but that is one of my favorite sound clips. They have Ed Norton's character. Uh, come on, so you got all these niggers out here and they're smoking crack and my dad is a firefighter and they're shooting at firemen. And he runs off in the house and cries on Beverly D'Angelo's shoulder. American History X. Classic. Um, but yet yeah, they had two, right? They had the segment in Decatur, Georgia, Ahmaud Arbery, not quite a Decatur, but close. They were speaking with the black male firefighter, first uh, black fire marshal and chief in the uh, Decatur, 
Georgia. And he said, man, I'm at the firehouse. White woman comes by and she says, get out of my, that possessive adjective. See what I say? See, he didn't say get out of yours. He said, get out of my firehouse, nigger. Reminder to myself, like, not my office, not my desk, not my bunk, not even my fire helmet. Thank you for the reminder, ma'am, suspected race soldier. Those sort of jobs, just playing those back to back. We've talked about that for years, 13 years, probably almost uh, where racists. That's another one. You can't really be a firefighter if that's your attitude, because I would be thinking the same thing. Like, dang, if you all sit around for two hours, that's what they said. Meeting is over and we sit around for two hours to bemoan niggers. Like, are you telling me that you really are going to give it your all? If it, the zip code and all that information comes up and it's, uh oh, the chocolate people have set themselves on fire. Hmm. You heard Ed Norton, right? Niggers smoking crack and burning themselves up and shooting. Mm hmm. Natural consequences says we go slow, boys. So I'm going to not race down the fire pole. I'm going to take my time. In fact, retired firefighter in Florida, do not feel compelled if you can hear us at all or what have you. But if at some point, if you do chime in, let us know. Gus might be, you know, giving absolute fool, fool talk in 2022. Might be talking total nonsense. That may never happen where race soldiers on the fire department go slow or give less than their best effort when battling a blaze where it's negras who are the occupants victims maybe that never happens but it would give it it seems like some of the folks in pennsylvania they said they came to the same conclusion like man are they gonna hustle are they gonna be urgent if it's some black people, some non-white people that call or is this uh, the niggers like, uh, Jesus God I think the truck is out of gas boys, we gotta get gas first yes, yes workplace racism plays out in lots of ways, hopefully that doesn't happen, but at minimum we shouldn't be allowed to find out. Something should automatically disqualify you from the job. You can't be a race soldier and be on the volunteer fire department. Like, please. Let's see. Next. Uh, so they had the report that I found fascinating as well about lying on applications. WNYC. Um, I asked this online earlier. Uh, and I'll pose it to any of the folks that are listening in. Do you all lie about things on your application or even once you got the job? Because this came up last week. We had a listener. We were talking about uh, folks being propositioned with going out to happy hour and drinking on the job and all that madness. Uh, and we had a caller last week. She dialed in. She said, hey, I employ deception for that one. I just tell them, look, I've had problems, serious issues with substance abuse in my family, people that I care about dearly. I do not mess around with alcohol, any sort of substances, really. I don't even hang out in those environments. So no, I will not be able to join you uh, at the bar. I wish you all loads of fun, but I just, I don't do any of those, anything 
of the sort uh, just have had way too many serious issues with all that. And she said that that is whew, never hear a peep about that again. And she she did add the caveat like, hey, I understand some people are not about lying, want to be truthful on the job. So take it or leave it. I have advocated like to the letter that strategy before it is in the archives and I said the same thing like hey if you're not in the line totally understand however that is one you will never have to hear anything about going out to drink again and that's when you can use with anybody suspected racists victims doesn't matter hey serious problems I just don't mess around in those sort of environments. Oh, my goodness. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Right. You don't even have to say that it's you just in my family or I've had to deal with that throughout my existence. And I just take that sort of thing real serious now. Who is going to bully and be right? I don't care about your substance abuse history. You are coming out. We are doing tequila shots right now. Who is going to say that in a work environment? generally no one that one but again so that was why we got into it a couple different ways do people do you endorse any sort of deception in the workplace if there are things that you don't want to talk about at all uh if they're asking you and trying to get in your personal business just to give out a few deceptions here and there i think we have had some folks who said oh yeah i do that especially if they're trying to get all in you know how many children you got and your family and where did you go to school and all this like come on this doesn't even have anything to do with the workplace we're not even talking about you know i'm lying about where i went to college or lying about my qualifications and all that personally i seriously doubt that black people I would say particularly black males but black people in general I seriously doubt they would be very successful long term lying about their skills competence qualifications Uh, I just know my personal experience uh, my qualifications work history has been checked generally speaking there's a few times here and there uh, where you know they have not verified things but that is generally not the case like it's like over verification of things you know we we got to check everything where did you go to kindergarten at let's get name at like dang okay that's generally you know the type of thing let me get on the phone right now and verify see how many graham crackers you ate at five that type of thing i'm not saying it never happens i'm just saying oof, white people can uh, jeffrey epstein man Dalton School in New York didn't even have the credentials to be teaching there and then once he got found out they didn't discipline him that's what I mean like I seriously doubt black people would have that sort of uh, what do you call it? immunity invincibility really <laughs> like uh Uh, to any sort of charges or ramifications of you doing this never face the repercussions for this lie once you get found out like I just can't see that Uh, but folks can definitely let us know any sort of lying that sort of thing do you get away do you see white people who are able to lie about those type of things like it seems obvious that they probably lied about their qualifications to get this job and then they still get to hang on to the job afterwards when you can see that they're incompetent that sort of thing 
seems widespread. Uh, I do not have children, but I know uh, parents. It has been super tough. This whole pandemic just having so much to try to uh, deal with. I know we have a number of parents who tune in, listen to the program, have for many years. Man, oh, man, hope you all are doing uh, as best you can getting through. And I hope you are fortunate enough to be in a work environment where you are actually uh, supported uh, by the place where you work. Uh, last thing I'll get. Well, yeah, at least for the time being, last thing I'll get in. <laughs> Excuse me. And then we have other reports in. The, I cannot believe. I cannot believe it. Rick James. Um, okay. So there were so many reports that came out this week uh, neutralizing, I mean, workplace racism in general, uh, as well as the whole COVID 19 situation, like they're uh, minimizing restrictions and all that. So we have to talk about how that's changing your work environment as well. Just really quick, because Vegan RD wrote in, we have other folks, uh, Phoenix. Other folks who are in our listening audience all over the world who are in the medical profession, nursing profession specifically, they had a report in the uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution about the title survey. 63% of nurses say they experienced racism in the workplace. Uh, I'm not going to read the full report, but a portion of it reads, I've been called nigger by multiple patients on multiple occasions. I have been called colored by a nurse manager. That's just one response to a survey by the National Commission to Address Racism in Nursing, which found widespread racism within the nursing profession. Duh. Explore survey. More than half of nurses sacrificing mental health for job. My colleagues and I brace ourselves for these findings. Still, we are disturbed, triggered, and unsettled by the glaring data and heart broken by the personal accounts of nurses American Nurses Association President Ernest J. Grant said in a statement we are even more motivated and committed to doing this important work justice that word again racism and those individuals who do not commit to changing their ways but continue to commit racist acts have absolutely no place in the nursing profession the survey which was done by the National Commission to Address Racism in Nursing enlisted more than 5,600 nurses Responses also revealed 57% of nurses said they have challenged racism in the workplace. 69% of Hispanic respondents reported personally experiencing racism. I recommend not using that term. 73% of Asian nurses reported experiencing racism. Half of all nurses surveyed said there is a lot of racism in nursing. I don't even know how you quantify or qualify that. Uh, black nurses most often experienced racism at the hands of a leader, 70%, followed by their peers, 66%, and finally patients, 68%. That's like the same. <laughs> it's like everybody is doing about the same, 70%, which is substantial. Black nurses were most likely to report experiencing racism with 92% of black nurses responded reported uh, reported personally experiencing racism. I kind of feel like that's burying the lead uh, if they are the highest number of folks experiencing racism at 92% then that should have been first and I did have the image of that with this report 92% of black females but I mean that is atrocious uh, and then more than 50% said efforts to challenge racism have had no impact 
in the workplace. Now, that's also disgraceful. That would come back to what is that word he uses? Dedicated. You make a report. This is a problem. This is a problem. In fact, this might be white supremacy racism. And they do nothing to correct, address the problem. Dedication. Not ignorance. Uh, many more things to share, but pause there. Uh, so the number again is 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. The email is untiljustice at gmail.com. If you have suggestions, thought, input, strategies to share, feel free. If we have any drivers, uh, it's been a couple weeks now. If you have any strategies to keep yourself safe while you're out doing your deliveries and what have you, let us know. Black History Month is about to conclude. Thank white Jesus. Uh, If anyone had any tackiness for Black History Month, as that all gets ready to conclude, let us know. Hopefully no one got roped into anything or even had to sit through any of this nonsense uh, for the last few days. But if you, you know, had to uh, be subjected to such events, let us know uh, what you did to handle the situation without generating new problems for yourself or for any other non-white people present. Star six one for folks who have commentary. Should have had Rick James today. Let's see. Um, <clears throat> first few people. <clears throat> I'm gonna. Whoa, letting it go. Letting it go. <clears throat> should have had Rick James today. First few folks who dialed in with a hand up. <clears throat> Line should be open. Proceed. Rick James. Rick James. Hello, can you hear me? Irie in Louisiana, yes, ma'am. Protest, everyone. Um, I'm sorry, I'm outside and trying to put away a grocery cart. But anywho, um, I was going to listen in and uh, just listen. But when I heard the report on the nurses, I wanted to chime in because uh, there's a story I was told by a friend of mine about one of his friends that is the nurse and she works for a temp agency. Uh, and the temp agency for nurses places them different places or whatever. So she was, um, she was placed somewhere in a rem- remote town in either Wyoming or Minnesota, one or the other. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it ended up that it was on the sundown towns list. And so he told me uh, not too long ago when that assignment was over, they ended up transferring her, her, excuse me, to Forsyth County or Forsyth, Georgia. And he told the non-white female, hey, do you know where you're going? And she was like, no, I don't. I've never heard of this place. I just know I'm going to be there for however much amount of time. He was like, listen, they ran Oprah out of that town. So you do well to tell them you don't want to go. And so the contract they constructed for her and the other nurses was that if they refused to go to an assignment, 
that um, they would be breaking the contract and there would be a $500 penalty um, for refusing to go wherever they were sent. And um, long story short, come to find out, the white guy that was the, he was the person in charge of logistics or whatever. He could have placed her in Atlanta, <laughs> but instead he cho chose Forsyth. And I suspect that not even white people want to deal with certain types of white people, you know, like, I don't want to use a metaphor, but I, I just have a feeling that he sent her to Forsyth, knowing that how they feel about black people to probably place somebody probably not black in Atlanta, where things are more convenient, it's more, you know, it's a major city and things are, are less uh, overt as far as like the racism and how backwoods it is. I hope that's not a metaphor. Um I did want to, I don't know if this is workplace racism for you, but since it happened at a workplace, I wanted to let you know, Gus, that when you reported the authors that the library had up for Black History Month, um, you mentioned the name Janet Mock, and that person is not even technically a female, so that's a um, a male that has transitioned into being or portraying himself as uh, a black woman and thus the name, last name, Mock. So they're practicing racism supremely by um, identifying this person as in the group of black females, you know, um, sexual confusion. Um, I can't think of anything else. Oh, I, personal Thing. If anybody can tell me what to do um, in regard to, uh, I was working at uh, the place doing the, putting together a test for, you know, COVID test, and I shared some things about that. So they ended up paying me more than they were supposed to, this, this pharmaceutical company. And so because they overpaid me, there are certain benefits that I get from where I was hurt on another job that obviously you can't only make so much in order to keep those benefits. So I had to pay that money back to this pharmaceutical company who overpaid me in the first place. And I notified them immediately that they did. So I had to pay them back, but they haven't sent me a corrected W-2. So I'm trying to figure out, is that something I would just like put on my taxes, some type of disagreement or I don't know what to do because every time I call to talk to human services or human resources, I'm talking to someone in Thailand or someone in the Philippines and depending on who they are, it, it's almost like it's not a language barrier because they speak English, but it's something about they just don't understand the frame of reference isn't there for them to understand what I'm trying to say all the time. And then sometimes I get white identified. I'm supposing Asians that'll get on the phone and mistreat me and be what, what some people would call a smart aleck. And I haven't gotten this resolved. So I could use some tips on that. 
But that was really anecdotal to the main story I want to share about the racism with the, the nurses. And, uh, yes, I hope everybody's having a good Friday night. Thanks for letting me share. Sorry about the noise. Much obliged, uh, Irie in Louisiana. Backwoods in that context would be a metaphor. Uh, Blood at the Root, Patrick Phillips. He was a guest on the program 2016. His book is all about the, well, let's give the full title, Blood at the Root, a racial cleansing in America about the racist white terrorist purge of black people in Forsyth County, Georgia, 1912, and the continued history of white supremacy in that area. Philip, Patrick Phillips is a white man, but the book is pretty good. Uh, and in fact, you will hear Forsyth County specifically and about this whole history tomorrow. I think if memory serves, Irie said that these young ladies did not know about the area where they were being sent to like, Oh wow. Even Oprah Winfrey went there. She did a whole program. You'll hear tomorrow. Oprah Winfrey did a whole segment, uh, in Forsyth, Georgia. And they marched and no nigger. They kept calling black people niggers. I'm sure they called Oprah Winfrey nigger three or eight times while she was there and all the rest of it. Very important. That's like that right there. Now they will say up and down black history month, black people, you all are the experts. I mean, you know about racism. We white people don't. If that's true, there's no way you should bump into a black person. Forsyth, Georgia, do you know where you're going? Mm-mm. What's in Forsyth? Jelly Bean Factory? Water Park? Mountain climbing? Indoor skydiving? Purged nearly 2,000, probably way more than that, but purged 2,000 black people? And under the threat of death, dared any nigger to step into the county for a hundred years? You don't know anything about that area where they're sending you. And, and now this is another one now. Okay. So the black people, they're ignorant. Nursing staff, they didn't go to school to study racism, white supremacy. They went to study nursing. Okay. So the white people that sent them to that area. So are they and especially now if these are white people that were born in Georgia now maybe you know they're immigrants maybe they immigrated from Canada New Zealand they only been here for two months maybe that's the case maybe they grew up maybe they were born in Washington State right graduated from uh, University of Washington and they just got a job down in Georgia maybe they've only been there six months so they don't know any of this history either maybe it's been my experience. What did I just tell you? I didn't say Patrick Phillips was a black male. That's not what I said. Patrick Phillips is a white man who wrote a bestseller. Blood at the root. I would take the wager that the white people who were doing the sending. Probably not ignorant about racism, white supremacy and Definitely not. I mean, it was on Oprah Winfrey. Did I just tell you? We got books about this and all that. That likes many, many books. It's not just one. Like this is like an infamous area. Like they may not know about all of the purges of Negras that have happened. Like one that happened in Kentucky and some of these other places and Elaine, Arkansas. Like those are not flashy. Everybody doesn't know about them. But like this one, Forsyth, Georgia. This is like right up there with Rosewood. I'm surprised they don't have a movie of this one. Oprah, they kind of do. Oprah was, that's not we've been generals, but I mean, Oprah was there. That was a big one. Anyway, we're here tomorrow. Anyway, uh, be informed. Local, national, global.
uh, about the system of racism, white supremacy. Um, I guess I don't know. I, we have some folks here. Uh, no, I call it in Georgia. Uh, she is like a brilliant tax genius. Maybe she has some notes. I would definitely the receipt. If any money that you have to return where they've overpaid and you make them aware of this and you pay them back, like I would get that receipt. I would uh, go out and get and get a picture of that receipt uh, so that you can show it, scan it, whatever you need to do. You have a digital copy of it, uh, even when submitting your taxes or what have you, to make sure that they know that there is a discrepancy uh, where you have already corrected this. Here's the receipt. Whammo uh, that, you know, your tax, they have not sent you an updated, accurate tax form. Uh, so just to make sure that this gets figured in. Uh, but I would definitely I would make sure you hold on to that receipt and I would take a picture of it so that, bam, you have documentation that this did occur and that you corrected it so that you can get credit for whatever whatever amount, you know, you paid back. That was incorrect. Uh, let's see. Uh, much obliged, Irie in Louisiana. Yeah, and yes, I did note the anti. It was so many levels there, like it was just you know, but it was twenty authors, and in all that, you can get pretend females and all the rest of it, but not one single black male because we're all just black rapist, criminal, predator, looting muggers. Woo! Black male privilege. Uh, let's see. Other folks who dialed in with a hand up, if you have commentary to share, proceed. Hello, can I be heard? Non Clemson grad. Non yes, sir. Yes. Um, well, I have a workplace story, but first I'll start by answering your question. Um, about um, whether or not I, um, I've ever lied on an application to get a job, and the answer is no. And I personally have never known anyone to do that. But of course, personally, I do feel like I've met people who have a job and feel like, are you qualified to be here? That's definitely been a question before. But um, I'll go ahead and um, recite my story. I did write it down. Uh, let's see. Back on Tuesday, February 15th, 2022, I sent an email to my manager and the assistant administrator requesting a raise. My manager acknowledged my request and granted a meeting to discuss the request further. On Monday, February 21st, my manager and the assistant administrator met with me to further discuss my request for a raise. The meeting started with the manager and assistant administrator expressing their appreciation for my work. He said that he had the manager compare my current responsibilities to my job description and that my current responsibilities coincide with my job description. Though the assistant administrator said that my work and efforts merit a raise, the bureaucracy of the county made it unlikely, especially because of the amount that I, was, that I asked for. He also went on to explain because my current pay is already above that of a principal planner, there is no room for a pay increase. It was at this point I articulated my confusion about my pay scale level. The assistant administrator was under the impression that my current pay level is that of a principal planner pay scale. It was at this point I pointed out that I am not a principal planner. Instead, I was hired as an associate planner and within three months agreed to a lateral move from the long range plan to long range planning. I'm sorry, from long range planning to transportation planning, with, in, which included the same pay and a new title for the position I currently hold. At least, this is the way that the director, then director, explained making the lateral move. Since my manager was still new to his position, he said he was unaware of the conversation I had with the director when I agreed to the lateral move. At this point, 
the assistant administrator said that such an oversight amounts to about a $4,000 a year difference in pay. Back in 2019, the county underwent an audit of its employees' jobs, titles, and responsibilities to make sure employees are appropriately titled and their responsibilities articulated. For my position, based on the way I filled out the questionnaire, my manager said he concluded my position to be that of a principal planner. But I was never told I was a principal planner, nor was my pay increased to compensate for this new pay skill distinction. It is worth noting that I've brought up the principal planner situation multiple times with my manager through the year starting back in September 2014. I'm sorry, that should be 2017 or 2018. After bringing this to the attention of my manager and the assistant administrator, they said that they will look into it with HR to see where the supposed change occurred. My manager noted that before he became manager, he had manager responsibilities for two years. During that time, he requested a raise and was flat out denied. Before the meeting ended, I requested several things. What level was my original position, associate planner or principal planner? If I wasn't always a, um, if I, if I wasn't always a principal planner, when was I promoted to principal planner? What does that mean for my pay in that amount of time? At the end of the meeting, I requested a summary of the meeting so we all understood what was discussed, but the assistant administrator felt it was necessary and he planned on looking into it with HR. After the meeting, I also realized that that job description that my manager used to compare my job responsibilities was the description from the job audit in 2019, which was written using the questionnaire I filled out to conclude my responsibilities at the time. So I emailed my manager and the assistant administrator to ask what my responsibilities are now compared to what my job description was when I was hired back in 2014. Tuesday morning, February 22nd, 2021, my manager gave me a copy of my first job description from um, for my job position when I started in 2014, and he reiterated that the assistant administrator is still working with HR to resolve the discrepancy. It is worth noting that the job description from 2014 is much less, I'm sorry, much less than the updated job description from 2019, so much so that most of my current responsibilities aren't on the 2014 description. Later on that morning, the assistant administrator called me into his office. The manager was there as well. The assistant administrator confirmed that confirmed with HR that since my hiring, I've been an associate planner, and at no point was I ever promoted to principal planner nor demoted. Then he proceeded to explain the pay scale to me. Currently, I'm a planner one, one whose entry-level income is 47, I'm sorry, 49K and 2022 rates. Um, a planner two has an entry scale of 53K, 2022 rates, and I currently make more than both these scales. Nevertheless, because my job responsibilities have significantly changed since my hiring, and there's a pay scale for me to move up to, the assistant administrator and the manager agree that I should be that I should get a raise of five percent, and this raise is effective immediately after I sign I sign off on it. But this doesn't include any retroactive pay. Before signing anything, I asked that what um I asked what was told to me by my assistant administrator and the manager be included in whatever document I signed. I also requested that the documentation include um, when the responsibilities for my position took effect because of the job 2019 audit, because of, um, because of the 2019 job audits, and that I will be given um, given time to review the document before I sign. I thank the assistant administrator and my manager for their efforts, iterating that they have been patient with me and quick to resolve my my request. I also asked if they felt I was rude or disrespectful in my request at any time in this process, to which they both said no. And my manager added that at some point, people who work here have this request, and if you work here long enough, it may happen several times. So that is the end of my story, but I will add this. Before I um, send an email 
to my um, manager and ball, um, my manager and administrator, um, I sat down and actually over the month before um, decided what I wanted to write um, to make sure my um, request was understood. So, for example, one of the things when I originally drafted my uh, my request letter was that I wanted a raise to principal planner. I decided to take out that specific language and simply focus on the money because uh, white people are very quick to give you a title and no money. Um, and then, of course, um, I programmed the email to go out um, the next day in my work email so that it would arrive um, in the work morning, the moment work starts for my uh, manager and my, and, and my administrator when they come into work at 8.30 in the morning. It was also a way to keep me from punking out um, from making the request. And then also it worked out pretty well for me as well, too, because even though it was programmed to go in to my, you know, be emailed the next day, Tuesday morning, my manager called out um, sick that day. So um, he still got the email the next morning and simply responded to it away from the office. So it, at least for me, made it a little less awkward, about, you know, with the idea of going into the office and requesting him, you know, say it in his face and requesting a raise. So uh, that is my story. Bravo, bravo, congratulations. We have our little uh, insert applause sound effect. Uh, congratulations, love that. Getting a raise for victims of racism. That is that is showing off the uh, valedictorian genius. Bravo, non-Clemson grad. Very proud to hear. Um, that's And that's, hey, like just using a lot of the information that we talk about here on the program on a pretty regular basis. Number one, just asking for a raise and then being specific with words. What exactly is my job title? What was it when I started out? Let's see. Love it. And even the analysis of now, let's look at what my duties and responsibilities, what were they when we started out? And then what are the, what are they now? He said, they have changed. So much has been added that most of my primary duties they aren't even listed on the initial sheet with my title and what I'm supposed to be doing for this job. Like, wow, when did all of that get added? But the nickels didn't get added like that. Whew, that is all the time all over the known universe for black people. Brilliant as well to anticipate. Hey, they might give me a brand new shiny title and do the same thing no extra nickels white people love to do that anticipate and just focus right on what I want I think that's a great strategy anytime like get right to what it is that you want and in most situations you'll know what that is if you're asking for money just get the money like that's what this is all about like all that other stuff you know whatever you can call me the janitor if it's gonna add $80,000 to my salary fine janitor Make sure the eighty thousand dollars is there. Um, the now even that them saying, "Oh yeah, we thought you were a principal planner." In the system of white supremacy, racism, many times and for Gusty included, that we're looking for that white validation. We talk about that so frequently. That might be enough sometimes. Like really, you thought I was a principal planner? Really? Wow. Ah, uh, and. I forget. Wait a minute, fool. Out. It was not for them to think well of me or think that I could be a principal planner. We were trying to get extra nickels. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. And I'm not 
a principal planner. I'm not compensated like a principal planner. Even if you think I am a principal planner or even if you work me like a principal planner, I'm not paid like one. Hmm, hmm, hmm. We'll have to go investigate. We'll go back and look. <laughs> so they go back and look and like, wow. If this discrepancy, if this is off, like, dang, this could be about a four thousand dollar a year difference. Like, dang. Which is substantial. Like, whew, how long are we talking? Like, even one year, even if it was just four thousand dollars. Like, wow, that is a lot of toilet paper and hand sanitizer, right? What if it's two years? Or three years like whoa can really cut a fool race soldiers do that sort of thing all the time love it staying calm just asking questions asking for clarification and then can I get in writing what was said? Like, when is my race going to start? All the information that we found. What was the result of our investigation about everything? What my duties are, what my official title is, everything. Let's get all this information together. So we'll have this as we evaluate my career moving forward. Hopefully, hopefully forward and upward, not lateral, upward. And yes, I'll be a principal planner in title and salary let's see and he's probably still being underpaid see he mentioned that they didn't give him the retro all that I was owed for who knows how long when you've been working me like a ranch mule down here in South Carolina and not paying me uh, probably still being underpaid even with the 5% increase but I love it and I that is a brilliant strategy as well because I know for all of us sometimes we'll be ready to roll and all right, I'm going to do it whatever it is if I'm asking for you know can I get hybrid can I get more days where I can work from home or can I get a raise or whatever it is getting nervous man these white people might put a hurting on me they already called me the office contagion like man they don't think well of me around here I'm a negro getting nervous say hey do the timer on the email be the first thing that they see in the morning like oh yeah hmm and then now he said, I can't punk out. I got to go through with it. Bam. The email is there. Holding my own feet to the fire. I say that all the time. Like we do all that. You know, we got to check in on this brother and I got to correct this brother. Like, man, you will use up all of the time and energy that you can possibly spare. Just holding yourself accountable. But bravo on the email, the timer with the email. And then, as you said, he didn't even come into work and it didn't even matter. He saw it from home. He could have been in bed or in the hot tub or whatever. And oh, email. Hmm, okay. Respond from home. No problem. And all works out. I mean, hey, that is like I made a little uh, little symbol of that with the dollar sign greater than title. Do not get. Uh, sidetracked they will get us a lot of times get us mystified and all into ooh, look at my type they'll give us sometimes they'll put it in big letters and put it on your door or your cubicle or whatever it is money over titles get it in writing too. not money over titles in writing but get it in writing if you're going to get raised they say it's five percent or whatever it is in writing 
But that is that's what I would expect from a valedictorian. Like, bravo, sir. Congrats to non-Clemson grad. First of many, many raises to come, and they will just get uh, chunkier as we move along, hopefully. Uh, let's see. Other folks who dialed in with a hand up. Uh, if you have commentary to share, the number again is 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. May I be heard? Yes, sir. We can hear you. Thank you guys for taking my call and greeting everybody on the line. Um, I just have to comment about the, the people well, I comment, but I want to answer your question first. Um, is omission also lying, like leaving information out? Oh, absolutely. And for folks that are listening in, like I took a class in college and they covered this, like that is a huge component of lying. And for people who don't understand, so omission is like uh, an example would be like uh, you're going to go to eat a sandwich and I know oh man such and such just went in the bathroom and was touching all over everything and touched in the toilet and came back and wiped their hands all over your sandwich and just set it down for you to eat it and I don't say anything yes I am participating in deception if I sit there and don't say anything and watch you eat it I'm deliberately omitting to tell you, ooh, we contaminated your sandwich, and I'm just going to let you eat it. Like, yes, that counts. Okay. Thank you for the clarification, sir. So to answer your question, yes, I've lied on applications. I intentionally left off what race I was, and from doing that, I got a couple callbacks. Um, But I went in for at least two interviews, but didn't get the job. So to answer your question, yeah. Um, and I also had a question um, about, um, do you think it would be a constructive thing to do for a non-white black male to, um, considering the economic stance of the world right now, to enlist in the military? Um, hmm. I guess real quick to the first portion, I've heard that before people leaving off We had people who did whole counter racist experiments about that, leaving their racial classification off of their job application deliberately. Uh, and they saw the difference. They got a avalanche of responses and all the rest of it. Now, some people have said now the, the catch on that is they might have an even if it's a Zoom interview, like at some point, they're probably going to see you. So, you know, anyway, um, hmm. The thing with the military is like, man, especially with things right now, uh, in multiple ways with things right now, with the COVID situation, if you sign up for the military, that means you're not going to be doing any of that jumping around like one of these folks, white people out in Canada and all the rest. And I'm going to protest at it. Eh, you sign all that away. So you're in the military. Shut up. Take a shot. None to talk about. So that's one or the booster or whatever else they you know come up with uh, Two. Now, with the situation with Ukraine and all that, like, hmm. So how excited are you about having to go and kill some folks or whatever else might be, you know, required for two years or however long you sign up for? Like, hmm. If I thought you might just get to go train through your two years, no combat per se, 
you go out, train, deal with whatever racism while you're there, Lavina Johnson? Maybe, but wow, with things the way that they are now, like, might be more than you actually bargained for. I would say with things the way they are right now, I mean, depending on what your options are, depends on what your options are, but I mean, wow, like you might be seriously looking at some combat of some sort. Um, might be, that's the way I would be thinking about it. Could be risky. If I was, if I was 18, right, where they come around to do the recruiting or what have you, I would hope I had someone like myself or an older brother or father, uncle, mom, somebody said, Jesus Christ, think twice about that. You do not want to be a black male going off of that Lavina Johnson, like all kinds of things like, man, it would be even if that weren't the case now with things looking like they might be escalating and it being some white people in some sort of combat. Man, there would still be a lot to think about. But with that, it would be especially risky. I would hope I was having someone saying, man, you might want to might want to reconsider that. If you have any other options, maybe do that instead. But that's just me. Pers- do you see any advantage? Do you see a benefit uh, to a black person where it would be without some major risk of being involved at some way in some way in some sort of combat? Uh, combat. Um, I'm not too sure. Um I do have family members who are in the military and from past wars they've went from Vietnam. Even my grandfather was in World War II. But um, I don't know. I, I don't know how to how else would it, it will be avoided. If that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um a lot of non-white people have, you know, made that made the most of that t- their time and service. Neely Fuller Jr., uh, Korean conflict, uh, the great Jackie Robinson, World War II veteran, uh, Geronimo Pratt did two tours uh, in Vietnam. Uh, it's lots of more people than I could name. So that Scotty Reed, Black Talk Radio Network There's lots of lots of black people who have, you know, went in got some constructive skills uh, that they continue to use in counter racist purposes and, you know, moved on and did their thing. Um, Something to consider, you know, other folks definitely, uh, particularly I would think people, if you have children where this might be something that they might be thinking about, if you have any offspring who are 16, 17, 18, where, Hey, they might have recruiters coming, you know, Hey, you're a young person opportunities. You could pick up some skills and get money for college and, you know, all the, the whole spiel that they tell you, what would you tell your offspring if they were thinking, hey, this might be a way to jumpstart my career? What would you all tell young black people if they were considering this as an option? We'll pick up folks' thoughts as we kind of roll. Was that, was that all you had to share, sir? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for taking my call. For sure. Uh, let's see what folks think about that. Uh, for So like I said, especially if you have younger folks, if you have... Uh, children what do you think let's see folks who dialed in i give out the number again 720-716-7300 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you would like to participate uh folks who dialed in hand up uh, if you have commentary to share proceed can i uh respond oh sorry i'll wait You can go ahead. You can go ahead if you want. No, go ahead, because you didn't speak yet, so. Oh, okay. 
what was the question for today? The question that our previous caller just asked was he was asking about the military uh, in terms of would that be a career option uh, for black people to consider? Um, I was just saying, given things that are happening right now, potential for combat, combat conflict, military conflict uh, on the planet right now amongst whites. Uh, is that a risk or how would you if a young person came to you all, your son, daughter, young person that you know if they came said hey what do you think I'm 17 years old and thinking about you know using the career to jumpstart my career what would you all tell them good choice bad choice yeah well surprised it would be so uh, uh, I I think it would be a considerably uh, good choice uh, that nowadays probably more young people neglect. Uh, but, you know, I wore a uniform for almost 30 years. And uh, when, when in the position that I, then, that I was on, uh, basically it's, I forgot, I forgot what word they put in front of military. Uh, I, it wasn't semi-military, but basically uh, the soldier, the soldier uh, uh, in my situation was county <laughs> county law enforcement you know <laughs> and uh, uh, and so uh, uh, yes we would respond to quote unquote civilians but uh, uh at the same time just like any other war uh uh your county fire department or city fire department would respond to calls involving law enforcement also and uh, a lot of times you will have to treat that particular quote-unquote soldier. Uh, military itself, uh, there's a lot of skills that could be can, that can be uh, turned into careers, uh, and you're getting you're getting uh, about the best training for that particular skill that you can uh, carry outside of. Uh, Outside of the military itself, uh, I think it. I think it depends. It depends upon uh, what you score on on those tests, on whether or not you would be qualified for it. Uh, one one thing, because you mentioned about Mr. Fuller, and this is where I got the idea from Mr. Fuller when he was talking about because, as you recall, he he got drafted and went to Korea. That's where he did active combat. But after he got out of the army, uh, things weren't really going well, and he ended up joining the Air Force. Now, I don't know of any Air Force unit <laughs> that uh, perceivably has a rifle in their hands and is out there on the front lines. Now, I do know bases are in, in could be in a... Uh, dangerous area, but uh, Air Force, uh, Air Force uh, uh, below an officer ranking in a unit, I think would be significantly different than in the Army or the Marines. <laughs> you know, as far as infantry is concerned, I don't know of anything concerning the Air Force is something that's called infantry. 
And uh, he, anyway, he, he well, you know what happened with that. He was in in the Air Force and whatnot, and that's where he started uh, taking notes and whatnot. That sort of thing up on this uh, hill in Japan. But uh, yeah, it, it, surprisingly so. I, I would think the military uh, is not a bad option. It's, it, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't just pick it out, you know, pick it out as you know the first choice, but you could you could qualify for a particular uh skill and and uh after the four years i think it's four years i think i think Irie, uh actually was in the military she she can explain it better than just about anybody that i know of uh but uh that particular period of time you know that you can come out and you just transfer that information uh, to, uh, you know, something, a business for yourself. Uh, and and also there's all kinds of perks for people in the military, not just parking spaces, good parking spaces. There's all kinds of perks for people in the military. Uh, with the fire department, they, they get a uh, some kind of uh, uh, edge uh, as far as, when it comes to hiring, I'm pretty sure it is the same thing with law enforcement uh, as far as somebody in the military. And there's several other things in the medical service, the same thing, because, you know, they, they have their own hospitals, so nurses, doctors, whatever. Uh, those skills can be utilized right out in, you know, in uh, quote-unquote civilian life. But, uh Yeah. Yeah, that's what I think about that. You know, I mean, the bottom line is uh, there's ways to avoid combat. There's ways to avoid that. You know, but but if you don't don't score well on that test, <laughs> it probably would limit your means to avoid it. If there is, you know, something cataclysmic, uh, 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 like uh, I think the last time that actually took place was. Vietnam, not the ones after Vietnam. Those basically people who were joining. It wasn't no the draft ended. The draft ended uh, in 1974, I think. I was my brother had to sign, had to sign fill out the, the prospective papers, and he's a year ahead of me. By the time it got to me, they ceased and desisted on it. And it'd probably be hard to to start another draft and actually get the young people nowadays into it. I I, I say I say I say to myself, good luck for that. You can you can you go. This this part of the world will have some I think some serious trouble trying to to make young people into the armed forces. <laughs> That's it. Thank you. Hashtag you to death. Think we're doing some draft, like man. Think uh, make Muhammad Ali look timid in all this. Um, with uh, before we nab uh, Irie, I was just gonna ask her when she gives her response. Now, hey, the, or actually two things. Number one, Walter Beach the third. It's many, 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 many black people that the military route came out did something constructive. Walter Beach the third multiple time guest on the cows and I just mentioned Walter Beach the third quickly because retired firefighter was firefighter was saying there are many ways that you could be 
in the armed services and not necessarily do combat. Walter Beach III, he was a cryptographer, if memory serves, where he did decodification. Now, how about that for our purposes? But I think that's what he did uh, while he was in the services and then got out and played with Jim Brown and won an NFL championship. Walter Beach III, two-time guest on the Cows. Uh, so my question was, as I pitched to Irish, I know she was going to respond, and we nabbed the other people as well. Uh, so you served. The question is, in responding to the caller's question, is would you do it again, knowing what you know now? If you want to give this, get answer that one in your response, Irie. Hello. Okay. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't because of the treatment that I, the racism and the anti-blackness I experienced. Um, I wouldn't because there was, um, since you all are talking about dishonesty, the dishonesty conducted by the recruiters, I didn't know the right questions to ask. Um, I, they left out information that would have made a, a critical difference in my promotion, promotion experience in the Marine Corps, um, which goes to what the firefighters said. Not only do you have to score high on the ASVAB, you need to ask them what you scored. Um, Looking back, I must have scored so high that I could have had any job that I wanted. And I didn't know that, but the recruiter did. And when I told him what job I wanted, which was basically photography, he was like, are you sure? And to me, that that was him saying, like, that was he should have just said, listen, you scored high enough to be a cryptographer. OK, you scored high enough to be intelligence. You scored high enough to get whatever job you choose. But for some reason, he wasn't either wasn't allowed to say that or chose not to. And it made a difference in where I was stationed, where, you know, the people I ended up working with in my unit and stuff and no I wouldn't do it again I would have just either gone to college or I'd have joined Peace Corps and you know gotten the same skills but in a more volunteer type basis Um, and then they also get certain benefits towards school like the military you know except you're going under the guise of goodwill I'd have done something else I just wouldn't have joined the military and what Gus said, speaking to vaccines, I've, I've said this on the program, I think, um, but I don't know if this gentleman heard it. I was forced to get a vaccine that they didn't allow me to put in my medical record. I could have the COVID vaccine already, which is why I'm not saying it. But the point is, your body isn't even yours in the military. But with that said, because I don't want to take too much time, I don't think joining the military is correct or incorrect. It's a choice, period. What you know will determine if the choice becomes correct or incorrect. The biggest thing is, one, please recognize that you are inserting yourself deeper into the system of racism, white supremacy, to the point that you are now an arm of enforcement for the system. You must be come to the consciousness that you may need to have to die or you may end up dead because you are in the enforcement of the system of racism, white supremacy. And then, you know, you may end up 
depending on what you do, killing or maiming other non-white people that probably, frankly, don't have anything to do with, you know, directly whatever the interests are of the white supremacists. But to the con- converse, you could end up in a job if you score high and you ask, what did I score and what are those jobs where you're not in theater? Um, but that's the thing. You got to ask. What did I score? Okay, well, what what jobs can I get and where where can I be stationed? You need to ask someone that's, like, been in the military that you can talk to off, like, this phone call. Like, what are all the things I need to ask a recruiter? Because one of those is, you know, the jobs, what kind of college benefits can I get guaranteed in my contract before I get to boot camp, you know? And probably some other stuff that I'm not thinking of right now just for the sake of brevity. But it's all about your initial contract before you go to MEPS and swear in and then get sent to the airport to go to to boot camp. No decision-making is being done at that point, not on your you, – you get what I'm saying? Like, there's no more negotiation once you swear in. There's none. You have to do all that before you swear in. Get your contract locked tight or get everything said and read where you understand and you agree with full consciousness. But no, heck no to the no, no, no. I would not join the military again, especially, sir, my advice, people may disagree. I'm a victim. Don't join the Marine Corps. I'll mute my line. Make it plain. I definitely am a big fan of that with with any uh, choice or what have you. Just try to be as informed as you can so that you can be accurately aware uh, of whatever it is that you're agreeing to, whatever it is you're signing up for. If it's for two minutes, two hours, two years, whatever it is. You want to have all of the accurate information way in advance so that you can make a very well-informed choice about everything that you can expect for however long this is supposed to last. Like, that's the way to go. That's why I said, like, have somebody around who can talk to you, give you all the information, answer all of your questions, and even think of some questions that you should have asked and maybe didn't, can even give you that info as well so that you can hopefully make a great decision for yourself. Irie says no to the Marine Corps. Uh, let's see. Uh, the number 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, other folks who dialed in... Yes, sir. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but will it be okay if I ask Irie just one question specifically about her enlistment, or should I wait to the end? Uh, let's hear it now. Miss um, Irie, thank you for your, your input. I do appreciate that. And I also appreciate uh, the retired firefighter's input. Greatly appreciate both of you. My question is, um, <clears throat> for you specifically, were there any financial incentives that were offered to you when you were signing up or no? No, 
because I was ignorant. I was I was in a very ignorant state, and there were things looking back again that let me know I probably could have gotten a bonus. <laughs> I'm laughing to keep from crying. Um, no, the only I will say this: the only financial incentives that incentives that I received were post uh, enlistment, and that's the partial. Mind you, I just said partial payment or or what do you call it? The partial financial uh coverage of the college degree that I got. It didn't it ended up not paying for everything. The Montgomery GI Bill at the time only paid so much and I still had to pay get get loans. So right now I have student loans. Um and then later on people it is weird. I I'd have to like email Gus and then he can send you the email. But that was a financial incentive, but that was after I got out. And then the only other financial incentive that I'm just now being able to act upon was the guaranteed home loan for veterans. Um, and then, you know, of course, you could try to get service-connected pensions for, like, if you get injured and stuff. But, you know, that is bureaucracy and mm, – you you have to fight it and, and they'll deny you and then you got to try again. So that were the incentives, for lack of a better word, that I've been able to gain access to. But beforehand, absolutely not. And it was, I was ignorant. Thank you so much for your response. Um, I'll just give one last disclosure. Um, my sister-in-law signed up for the Army a few years ago. And she was given a $100,000 signing bonus for enlisting. But that is it. Thank you so much, for everyone, for answering my question. And I greatly appreciate you guys. Thank you. Being informed. Like, wow. Wow. She said laugh to keep from crying. Like, laugh to keep from choking somebody. Like, my goodness. Like, even if it, that's another one. Like, hey, he said $100,000. Like, even $4,000. Like, are you serious? I could have got $4,000 for doing exactly what I did just if I had known, like, hey, bonus. Oh, okay, yes, Negra, yes. Dang, didn't think she knew that. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, $5,000 now. He just said 100 that. I'm just saying $5,000. Like, oh, okay. Now, I could look be back, look back and be like, man, I could have got a $50,000 signing bonus or a $60,000 signing bonus. Dang, I'd still be upset, but I mean, like, I didn't get anything. Whew. Dr. Cambon, he said, disadvantage. Why do they call us that? We don't have all of the information that we need. And he's always at the time that you need it, not waiting until you get to. Oh, man, look at you. Ivory, you could have got a $100,000 signing bonus. Huh? Wish you had known that when you signed up. Oh, well, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, uh, retired firefighter in Florida. Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, uh, first of all, I just want, wanted to to thank Miss Irie. You know uh, that that was that was that was a good uh, briefing, uh, and and from a person that you, we all know that that uh, did some time in the military, and 
plain and right, right to the point. You know, because I've heard that I've heard that sentiment about the Marines also from a guy that I grew up with, played high school football with, and we actually went to college together. And then he decided to drop out of college and go to the Marines. <laughs> wow! Uh, but uh, but uh, and he had some of the same uh, uh, thoughts. But the from my understanding, the Navy, the Navy has a lot of transferable skills, uh, computers, you know, that sort of thing that generates in civilian life, you know, a pretty good uh, wage salary, that sort of thing. Uh, uh, you know, things like that. I, I, I know of a young fella who is in the Navy and my, my son, talks about him that he does something with computers or something. I'm not sure exactly, but it's something that is transferable out in the civilian world where that, that you make, you know, pretty good salary. A matter of fact, I, I've actually heard at one point in time years ago that the Navy was kind of like having trouble keeping people in the Navy uh, because they were, during their time, their basic time, and 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 with that skill, those skills, they were leaving out, leaving out to go into civilian life because you know, of course you 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 will make more money than in the military with that particular skill, and and plus those you know those corporations and whatnot gives almost a blind trust of people who have that same skill that is that did got that skill from the military or they did time in the military, they would give them kind of like a, a, a boost in, 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 a, in a sense because of the traditions about what the military is about, you know, with, with the discipline and that sort of thing that uh, they, you know, figured that, okay, this person was professionally trained in that way that we would like our employees to be type of thing. Yeah. That's it. Thank you. Lots of uh, perks for uh, military. Well, <laughs> sometimes there can be lots of perks for folks with military service. And then other times, Anthony Broadwater, Marines. Mm-hmm. But yeah, generally, sometimes, hey, Neely Fuller Jr. didn't come out, didn't get convicted as a rapist. I uh, got to come out and work for the Bureau of Engraving. I bet you that probably helped him get that job. Talking about Mr. Fuller, <laughs> helped him get that job at the Bureau of Engraving and Printing. Like, oh, this is not just some random Negro from Oklahoma. This Negro was in, oh, he did two tours. My goodness, look at that. Like, okay, we'll let this. See, so he had to hold a gun. He had to. <sighs> Next time you talk to him, I will ask, do you think you being in the military helps you get that job, Bureau of Engraving and Printing? Let's see. Uh, other folks who doubt, if we have any folks, if you did your military service, you should definitely not spectate. Like, let us know. What do you think? Would you recommend this as a career option to young victims of racism? And would you do it again if you had to make that choice over? Uh, folks that we missed totally, if you have a hand up, proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Uh, Bay Area mom. 
Thank you for taking my call. Greetings to everyone participating in the program. Um, let's see, military. I've never, ever, ever done military. Um, would I suggest my son go? I've always discouraged it. Um, I've, I told him either go to college or you end up in the military. I think I got that from my presidential candidate. So, yeah, he went to college instead. I think as far as financial aid, I think you have to enlist in something. So we'll see how he escapes that. Uh, um, yeah, so that's my spill on college. Um, working um, in healthcare. I've never been a nurse. I was. I did in-home care for a few years, and I have experienced racism from the patient. I had a, a Japanese lady call me a slave and ask me to scratch her back, slave. And um, I, I've had a white uh, male uh, speak to me, and I told him it was a property ownership tone because he would talk to me as if I was... Uh, should be glad to have the uh, job. I've had one lady um, just um, in, uh, being a prospect care provider for her. She let me know that I would use the yeah. <laughs> she she lived in Berkeley, <laughs> so her she had an old house, and the old house had a back a outhouse for those people, <laughs> the melanated people to use the bathroom. So that's where I was to be using the bathroom, and she. Uh, assumed that, uh, because she asked me if I had kids, and I told her I had a son, and she was like, I just know he's a handful of trouble. I just know he just gives you trouble. I was like, yeah, he gives me so much trouble being an honor student. He's just uh, a nightmare maintaining those 4.0s and above, and then, so that was interesting. So, uh, yeah, I've experienced uh, racism dealing with um, non-blacks uh, at work. Uh, my workplace racism do, 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 do. Uh, so, I, I've been off for a week because we have President's Week in my son downtown. Uh, they love their presidents so much that we take a whole week off, and I really appreciate them, so I'm enjoying it. Um, <laughs> I was working with this little black boy on Wednesday. Uh not this Wednesday, the Wednesday prior, uh, my supervisor came in. I was I, The little boy had been out on COVID, uh, him and this little girl that they have, if you ask me, they have, he's a playmate for the little girl just so she doesn't feel like she's the only flunky. They have him. He's not. He's the one not benefiting from the, uh, the union. He just gets all these brain breaks and he gets to play a lot. Um... <laughs> My supervisor came behind me and asked me, "What well, was I was I doing his work?" I was like, "Well, no, I'm just typing in his uh, typing in his notes because I just got here. He just got here, and I'm he don't know. He he. I asked him what was going on. He told me I wrote some of the stuff down. She's like, "Well, all this isn't his words." I said, "Well, all this is coming from where he's getting the information from." And I watched the video and wrote notes, and um, that's it. So does the teacher know that? Um. Yeah, the teacher knows I'm doing his notes. I've got the password. I, she knows that I'm doing his notes, yeah. But what did she say? I was like, look, she knows I'm doing his notes, so you can ask her. So the teacher comes in. Do you know she's doing his She's like, she's doing his notes. And they'll go over it. We'll go over it. There's so much more of this uh, assignment. He just got back to that, that day from being on um, 
at home for being exposed to COVID with him and his uh, uh, classmates that he stuck to because they both need assistance. Um, so that was that Wednesday. So Friday I go back and <laughs> I get the note memo. Oh, he has help. So you don't need to go with him. But then little uh, white boy that you helped, his mother really appreciated you helping him with his work, keeping him on track. Ooh, you're wonderful with these kids. But we've got this nice white boy that we need you to work with because we're trying to keep him from, you know, going to juvenile basically or getting expelled because he's really a a truant. He's, uh, well, more of an urchin. So, uh He's, he's, he's something else. And um, so I went to his class, total nightmare, didn't want to do anything we were doing. Because it's Black History Month, I had to endure a lot of elementary school black history. And in the black the black teacher's class with the little black boy, we're talking about colonization, and she's really um, in tune with the, uh, the explaining that she's great. So uh, everyone else, it's just we might be talking about a little slavery a little couple of uh, some inventions that you know who never uh, I forgot the guy that made the biscuits cutter, and um, we're talking about inventors a little bit about slavery, but not so much to where you know you'll be asking too many questions or think you know we still practice racism. So um, the same Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I do. There's another little guy. He's a Nigerian. Um, I don't know what his disorder is. I don't even know where he came from. I know that was my original class when I first started working there. And uh, the teacher has been gone uh, on COVID leave since the next day. So uh, that was in January. He'll come back sometime in the middle of the next month, maybe, maybe not. Um, So there have been substitutes in this other class. Um, They gave me this Nigerian boy. Because I heard, now mind you, he's not on my, even when I'm recording, it's just no benefit to my supervisor because that's not one of her children. She knows who he is, but it's no benefit. There's only one person that, for the uh, BCBA, and they told me they don't need help with him. And um, they need me to work with the Nigerian boy because when I work with the Nigerian boy, they're able to deal with the rest of the class because the Nigerian boy takes up a lot of, Everybody, you'd have to really stop and do a lot with him versus if I have him and I'm occupying his mental uh, space, he's not a burden to the rest of the class or staff. So uh, I guess on Monday I'll share that with my supervisor, but I just found that out recently. And um, I said, okay, well, um, who's on my supervisor's case? Who in this class does my supervisor support? And she said, oh, the one that I said you don't need help, we don't need help with. I said, oh, that's interesting because that's the only reason why I'm in this class is for that particular person, not whatever you guys got going on. And so she paused for a minute. And then I just let her know. I mean, I'll do what I can while I'm here with this little young boy. But I said, where's his uh, his behavior intervention plan? Where's his? That's this little boy that's not even a part of my case. And she's like, well, I don't know. We got to wait till the teacher gets back and he'll do one. He has one. I don't know where it is. So what the hell y'all want me to do with these kids? I don't know what, what the hell. So 
I said, well, where's the guy that I am working with? Where's his the, uh, his behavior intervention plan? Where's that? Where's his IEP? Give me some. Oh, well, we got to wait for teachers to come back in March for you to get that. So I'm basically just here keeping y'all from being stressed out with this one little Nigerian boy. Now, mind you, the Nigerian boy, his parents don't believe he has any special needs, which he totally, totally does. And one of them, I believe, is uh, he doesn't register when he's full. Because what I start doing is keeping him from eating school lunch. Um, they were allowing this boy, before I started saying something, they were allowing him to eat his food that he's bringing from home on top of school lunch, which is this the worst lunch on earth. And he's eating grilled cheese, two, three sandwiches. They just giving it to him like he's not some homeless bum kid that doesn't need some food. They just throwing him all his food and giving him all his milk. And he's got oh five chocolate milk. He's drinking it like a, um, you know, like he don't have no home training. And and they just letting this stuff happen. So I just get there in January. So I don't even put together that there's a problem until February. That's this month. So now since I know that there's a problem, I don't let them do nothing. You're not eating none of that crap. You eating your Mama didn't cook this stuff. You can eat this. So I'll just juice him up, tell him how his lunch is much more healthy than school lunch. And so every day that's what we endure because I completely changed his program. Because if his father doesn't want him eating that, why are you guys letting him eat all this junk? And why? And so he's been sick, nose running, nobody wants to keep him at home. His parents, I know, I don't know what his father does, but I know his mother's an attorney. So um, she doesn't believe he needs any assistance. They believe that, you know, they have the most uh, utmost respect for this young man, and they believe that he just needs to be in regular classes, and he is fine. In all actuality, if he was fine, he's not now. Um, between eating out the garbage, I have to make him, I had to teach him that when he sneezes, cover his whole, don't take a mask off and do no drive-by on us. Hey, hey, keep your mask on when you sneeze. So they just letting the kids sneeze all over, taking masks off and sneeze and just all this stuff. So I tell him, when you blow your nose, don't do it in front of the whole class. Let's go out. They got front and back doors. Let's go to the back door. And I let them know, too. That's what I got going on. He got the front and the back door. You go blow your nose, throw this stuff in the trash, clean your hands, and put your mask back on so I don't have to keep hearing mask up, mask up, mask up. I don't want to hear that all day. So we we got to where uh, he's on the internet looking up school lunch because he can't believe that school lunch is not healthy. There's got to be some healthy school lunch. So I was like, school lunch is not healthy. So he's just like, well, did you eat school lunch when you were a kid? I said, no, my mama didn't let me eat school lunch. I brought my own lunch. And so he's like, oh, okay, well, school lunch is not healthy. I said, no, it's not healthy. So he asked me, would I go get him some fruit? So I said, well, if he looks like they don't bring him a drink, so there's no water or anything like that. He's just had this lunch. Um, looks like leftover from dinner or something, but whatever it is, it's lunch. And um, he he drinks this the yucky chocolate milk, so he can only get one, though, uh, with me. And he wants a piece of fruit. You can have one. And if you're going to eat them dry craisins or dry cranberries, you can have one. And that's it. No sandwich? Sandwich not healthy? No, it's not healthy. It's full of yucky stuff. You guys have nice food. Your mama cooks. You're not eating that. So then he's like, if dad doesn't pack my food, then what? I was like, look, we'll get that. Look, I was like, dad don't pack your food. You can order something. He said, Panda Express? I was like, I don't know. Maybe. We'll figure that out if whenever the dad don't bring you no food. 
So I went to go get him a fruit because he wanted the fruit because he doesn't have a concept of being full, I believe. I can't prove it. So, um, man, I go to get the, this little piece of orange that they act like I'm stealing out the grocery store. So I go get this, this little orange. And, man, I come back and he's digging in the garbage. Man, I said, I couldn't wait to get to him. I said, if I ever catch you digging in the garbage, I'm telling your dad. I was like, you don't dig in the garbage like some kind of peasant. I said, you're not around here broke and you're not hungry. I was like, you ever dig in the garbage again, I'm telling your, your dad. Do you understand? Poor people dig in the garbage. I'm like, look. I don't know who digging the garbage, but you're not digging in no garbage looking for no food. Look like these birds is digging in the garbage. Here you go. Fitting the description of somebody that's hungry. You don't dig in the garbage. Do you understand? And he's like, so, so just, just, just broke people digging the garbage. I said, if I catch you digging in that garbage one more time, I'm telling your dad. Do you understand? Okay, I just eat my lunch and that's that. I was like, well, whatever, whatever works. So that's my workplace racism. I just noticed that with the black children, they're just left to uh, be treated like, uh, um, uh, what are those, um, shelter animals. Um, to me, his parents make too much money. I want a Tesla that the dad is driving in. And I, I don't have one. And you're going to treat this child as if he doesn't, you know, I, I just don't like the treatment of the black children, especially when it comes to eating. And I have another little guy that now I'm finding out the one that I would say would be an hour late from school to school catching the bus. He doesn't have a place to stay. And he's not eating food. So just it's just a mess when it comes to our children and when you play around with sex, the joke is on the offspring. And then we're having more playing around with sex, and the joke is on all of them, in particularly the first one, because they have to watch the whole ride. And I will mute my line, and thank you for allowing me to ramble. Mm, 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 mm. Throwaway children, indeed context of white supremacy. George Washington Carver. Always, uh, I don't even know how to say it. They, uh, it's not even like honoring his legacy. There's the, yes, yes, George Washington Carver, peanut butter. Yes, yes, okay. <laughs> like, dang, that's it? They don't go into any detail. I was just telling someone the Cows Book Club should be known for biographies. We've read nearly biographies I was stunned that it was that high because I never thought of myself as being a biography reader but I mean 20 of them Cal's book club anywho more biographies to come like the uh, less white people have uh, say so speaking of which I'm just doing a pause I was able to get the book correctly since we had our mention of foresight so I can mention it two days in a row reading more important and watching television this is the type of content I would be sharing as opposed to we we're going to talk about George Washington Carver let's put him in context but this is the type of thing I'd be sharing so blood at the root get it two days in a row about the purge in Forsyth County Patrick Phillips he was a guest on the program this is one of the portions that I remember we were talking about who are you around the young white people at, at school this is on page 118 
After interviewing whites all over Forsyth, as well as members of the black community who had fled to neighboring counties, Nash described how whites had exploited the desperate situation of their black neighbors in 1912 and had swooped in with offers to buy livestock and farm implements at a fraction of their real value. A Negro would receive an anonymous letter giving him 24, 36 hours, occasionally 10 days to quit the county, Nash wrote, and that meant precipitate flight an abandonment of everything owned in the world. In other cases, it meant a sale at a few days' notice, during which a cow worth $25 would bring $8, $9, and hogs worth $15, $20, sold for $4, $6. House and land brought nothing. If the Negro owned a mule, he moved out his furniture. Otherwise, it burned after his departure. Nash went on to tell of the dire consequences if black residents tried to hold out and he spoke with one family who'd received the oh this is the part I, I didn't even highlight that portion I just read this is what I highlighted Nash went on to tell of the dire consequences if black residents tried to hold out and he spoke with one family who'd received their ultimatum not from grown men but two white children failure to vacate on the date set meant a stealthy visit in the night and either dynamite or the torch. The result was a state of terror which caused one Negro to accept a 24-hour notice delivered by two children aged five and six respectively who learned the game from their elders. All of that is in quotes, including the word game. I'll stop there because we talked about all of this in great detail with the author in 2016. Cows, 13 years. Uh, so that's what I'd be doing for Black History Month if it was Gus T. No children would come out and say, Forsyth County, what happened there? I never heard of that. None of Gus T's students. Anywho, uh, so they said they have a problem with her reaching. Or even before that, she was talking about her own child. She said they used to tell her, like, oh, my gosh, I bet that boy yours, he's just a handful. Oh, my gosh, I know he is just out raping and looting and committing crimes and robbing and stealing. Jesus. Yes, I'm sure he's getting his passport stamped right now on his way back from Brazil and is probably planning a trip to Germany when he finishes being on the dean's list for this semester. Yes, he has just been absolutely awful in the backseat of a police car every day. Anywho, anti-blackness all the time. Uh, let's see. And then right on the same subject matter. So she comes in looking to help out this black child doing my job. Hey, what are you doing? Are you doing this work for me? Are you, are you doing this work for him? Is that what's happening to me? Are you doing this notes for him? I'm, I'm just helping him get his notes. The teacher already knows. Are you doing this notes? Is that what's happening? You're doing this notes for him, Mark. That's the type of thing. You're just like those no good niggers in Atlanta cheating to help those dudes out. I'm just helping him get his notes together. He's been out for a time. The teacher knows what's happening. She goes, yes, yeah, she's just doing the notes. That's what's supposed to be happening. Goes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then they come back. Oh, yes, we want you to work with this white lad here. Oh, his mother was just thrilled. You did such a great job. We just want to continue that. 
Not, oh yes, you did a great job with this black child. No, 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 no. Cheating and stealing and helping this no-count Negro get some work done. Here, get over here and help this white child. Let's see, and this is California, right? I thought everybody was all progressive and not racist. California. Uh, let's see. The stuffing of this young black boy, uh, just letting him, because you've talked about that for a few weeks now and giving him all this food and 15 grilled, grilled cheese sandwiches and all the rest of it, in addition to his, I guess, own lunch from home and all that. Like, number one, I feel like that just the deliberate racism, because I've seen that so many times, especially with uh, black children, uh, where it's just really harmful, toxic uh, I'm not even going to call it food, like edible items, grilled cheese and the like. Um, and then like three, I don't even, even if this was like an adult peasant, she said, even if that were the case, they don't need three grilled cheese sandwiches, like one, some fruit, some water. I said, man, like here in the, uh, Seattle, we had to do like a community service project to complete uh, our 200 hour yoga training. So we went out and we were doing some of the food distribution uh, that they where they give out uh, meals for people downtown, downtown Seattle. And they get like donations from all of the like super fortune 500 high power uh, tech companies that are in the downtown area, which includes Amazon. Uh, they would have like oh my, it was embarrassing. Like feast like fresh uh, roasted turkey free range chicken breast and all organic carrots and broccoli and even like the dessert stuff because they would have all of that would be and and the snack like the snack I wanted to take some of the food with me they had like organic Brussels sprout chips and uh, dessert items like non-GMO organic jelly beans and all this other crazy like we are not giving out grilled cheese like get out of here do you try to go down there and take a grilled cheese sandwich they will kick you out you'll be permanently banned uh, from donating food coming there with some grilled cheese sandwich um, but I mean like what is that that's just like totally setting you up for diabetes poor health and how are you even going to concentrate like sit still when you have stuffed me full of all of this poison that has a huge impact on your ability to think especially at that young age like my goodness and then it's just eat all the time eat. she said it's like he doesn't know how to just I'm full I'm straight I've seen that repeatedly where it's just you got to eat 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 it can't just be hey we ate this morning we don't have to eat every five minutes hey in fact we don't have to eat every hour. You will live. You're not that hungry. I just saw you eat. Deliberate, in my opinion, uh, system. Can't get the coursework right. Can't find an IEP. What is this, Jesse? What is the plan for this plan? Who is this nigga talking about plan? We... The plan is we plan for them to fail. We're going to stuff them full of Oreo cookies and jelly beans and gummy bears and soda pop and grilled cheese sandwiches and do silent reading time where everyone here is illiterate. That's the plan. What do you mean? What's the plan? You got a plan better than that for these niggers? 
I think she mentioned Dr. Welsing's throw away children for a reason in that segment. Again, if you don't plan all this out before you get to the bedroom extensively, what is our child or our children's academic plan going to look like for like the first 10 years? Let's write that out in great detail. We got a plan for you. That's what the racists say. If you don't do all that, we got a plan for you. Think you could eat five grilled cheese sandwiches, Jamal? What do you think? Let's try one more. Here you go. See if you can get five in. And then sit back and wonder, wow, we got all this obesity and diabetes. You niggers need to stop feeding your children fried chicken in the morning. Pam used to love that one. She's bringing that up with uh, President Obama. Let's see. Uh, other folks who dialed in. Again, if we have folks, if you did any military service, you should probably not spectate here. Like, share your thoughts. What would you tell a young 18-year-old, somebody who's about to get their college diploma or, excuse me, high school diploma, right, in, what, like four months? They said, hey, recruiters have been talking to me. What do you think? Just a good plan? Just an option I should consider or no? What do you think? Give me your experience. Let us know what you would tell a young person, your offspring even. What would you tell them if we have any folks, if you did any uh, military service? The number again is 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, Other folks who dialed in with a hand up, line should be open. Proceed. See, while folks are taking a moment to get their things together. No, if, uh, we got everybody. The email, I wanted to make sure I got in. Should have had the Rick James with this one as well. Monday. So it's Black History Month. I don't think this has anything to do with Black History Month per se, but mm, yeah, I guess it doesn't have anything to do with Black History Month per se. So one of our listeners wrote in one of her white colleagues got in trouble for social media. If anything, this is another reminder. And this is a great one because this happened to a racist. So bravo. Uh, but you do not want to be on your social media talking crazy, posting crazy things. Really delete the social media account. I think that's in vogue for a lot of reasons. Go ahead. Delete it. If you have to be on social media, I would try to avoid using my legal name. I would certainly make sure I avoid uh, being friends, quote unquote, with anyone that you work with, white or non-white. I would not want a convenient, easy to find trail to see everything that I've posted or link that I've shared or whatever else uh, is a recipe for disaster. So a victim, she mailed in one of her white co-workers Uh, social media page in his legal name he makes this post it is of a black female who's young enough to be his daughter uh, and she's highly melanated a model super gorgeous so he posts and he says uh, whether she is a beauty I have the image right here I can tell you exactly what he said let's see Uh, there we go alright so he says whether a work of art or a freak of nature, she's a beautiful sight to behold. Him talking about this uh, black 
female model, Nayakam Gatewitch, I think is her name. She is super lovely, but again, young enough to be his daughter. So this suspect, suspected racist, after he posts this on social media, and people are like, whoa, are you calling her a freak? Rick James, see, that's what I said, Rick James. Are you calling her a freak? Like, what in the world? So he responds, he says, yesterday, I tweeted from my personal account a message that was racist and sexist. Prejudices and stereotypical assumptions I didn't know I held have been exposed to myself and to you. You didn't know? Really? Ah, oh, the ignorant white man. And I'm deeply ashamed and very sorry. I have participated in the many efforts of the university, including the medical faculty, the state office of mental health and other offices to root out discrimination at all levels, discrimination. And although tackling unconscious bias uh, is an ongoing part of these efforts, it starts internally. An apology from me to the black community where are they women and to all of you is not enough I've hurt many and I'm am beginning to understand the work ahead to make needed personal changes and over time to regain your trust I am committed to meeting with many of you in the days and weeks ahead in safe spaces that we'll create to hear your views, answer your questions, and to outline the next steps. Sincerely, white man. Does not get any better than tacky. <clears throat> now, it turns out this fella is no longer in this uh, position. We'll have to see. Uh, if he, you know, was terminated as a result of this or if he just got to resign, white people don't get fired. They get transferred. So he could just end up at another position after a nice, cushy, you know, six month sabbatical, go get a tan, do some traveling, spend some time cooking and then whammo, come back. I made a donation. United Negro College Fund. I've read Tanahasi Coates. Think I've learned a lot. does not get any better than tacky uh let us see other folks any any other commentary folks wanted to make sure they get in based on what we've shared today uh, can i be heard caller in ohio yes sir uh hello listeners hello gus uh, i actually was uh i just got in and i believe the caller's name is irie who was in the Marines, and she stated that she had an interest in cryptography. I don't know if she pursued it or not, but I figured I'd let her know that uh, MIT's OpenCourseWare has a whole course on cryptography and cryptanalysis, that uh, it's the actual course that they teach at the university, and you can sign up and take it, or you can go directly to uh, ocw.mit.edu, and you can get you know, the videos, the course files, any associated PDFs. Um, I believe at this level, there might be like one book that you have to purchase, but quite a bit of the times because of uh, the area it's in, cryptography, those books aren't super um, easy to come by because it is an extremely specialized field. 
it requires tons and tons of math, theory, uh, practical application, et cetera, et cetera. So they tend to include uh, the actual chapters from different mathematical books that speak on the subject that you'll be covering when you're dealing with cryptography. So I'd, I'd suggest if she's still interested to check out MIT's OpenCourseWare. Uh, the course is 6.875. Uh, the newest one they have thus far is was taught in spring 2005, which could be considered old, but in terms of like the cryptography side, unless you're doing some, you know, uh, very unique or novel type cryptography, all the uh, information is relatively the same. There have been certain uh, changes in the crypt cryptography market, but generally speaking, the mathematics used and things like that are still uh, pretty solid. Uh, that's about it. I just wanted to throw that in there because she had mentioned she was interested in that when she was in the military. And pretty much uh, a lot of the people that I know that went to the military either loved it or hated it. Uh, a person that I actually had worked for, they were an army officer, I believe, and uh, they went in there with a college degree, though, so they already had gotten their education, but that's what they informed me of. Pretty much, you had the, um, you know, ones who go in there with a plan, and so they did their research beforehand, and then you had the ones who just, you know, jumped up and ran out of a burning house and just wanted to get into something new, and then uh, found out the hard way that, you know, you are going to be serving the whims of white supremacy, so you putting yourself in harm's way for a game that you probably can't even uh, throw those colors for outside of that environment. So with that, I'll mute my mic. Be informed as you make your decision. Very, very important. I bet you those folks who went in with a college degree and said that they, you know, enjoyed their experience or found it to be constructive. I bet you get, they got a signing bonus like, woof. You can be informed and get a nice signing bonus. Get in, get out, keep all of your limbs and everything together. Don't have to take any crazy experimental vaccines or what have you. Like, hey, leverage this the right way. Got out on time. Woof. Think I made it out all right. Invested my signing bonus well. Bravo. Uh, let's see. Other folks who <clears throat> much obliged our caller in Ohio, I wrote it down, the MIT Cryptography Program 6.875 uh, for Irie or any other folks who are interested. Try to learn a little bit about everything. Anybody else with commentary they need to uh, get in? Anything else they want to make sure they share with us? Uh, uh, yes, sir. Part two people. You can go, go ahead, ahead, sir. No, 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 no. Oh. You, you haven't, you haven't uh, uh, said anything that I that I heard. So go ahead. Oh. I've already participated. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Uh, greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners, and callers. I just have some reports I wanted to share really quick. Um, the first is uh, one of the click members, of course. I've noticed has made a Valentine's Day uh, post with a picture of a Grim Reaper on it, and it has a, it has text that says, "Souls aren't the only thing I suck," and it has to and from on it, like 
a gift sticker that you put on a present and it has a black, um, what's the term I'm looking for? Silhouette that resembles what's called the uh, Grim Reaper. And it says hashtag Valentine's 2022. So I screenshot that. Um, my, my next one is we had a meeting on the 8th and I wanted to mention this one. Uh, the supervisor, I think, was forced um, because I was counting the weeks, before, you know, since we hadn't had this meeting. And the non-white person, well, she asked if uh, anyone had any suggestions, and they started talking about the click gossiping and people bringing in their personal issues onto the job. Um, so some time went by, and... Uh, this non-white person wanted to say something again. So the supervisor says, oh, no, you, you're not done yet. You have another one. And then she starts laughing or whatever. So I wanted to mention that one. I thought that was uh, tacky and an act of um, racism. Um, and there was a, a black male, um, melanated black male, uh, we were we still been having these issues with the photography, uh, with the the contrast of you know he was wearing a white shirt, uh, and he was melanated, dark skin and everything. So we were trying to get the picture right. So the picture came out with the best quality when we turned the backlight off. So the black female came back in from the lunch break, and she uh, took another photograph. And uh, while she was taking it, she wanted him to sit up straight, which was, you know, I think correct. But he was just he was just given what you would call, a, a, you know, a normal um, facial expression, relaxed, like not no no smile or no frown, just plain look. And she said, well, you know, just, you know, please smile. I don't want you to look hard. Right. I'm like, where where do you get that word from? Hard. I, you know, she said, I don't want you to look hard. Just try to smile. She said it in that way. And he was just, just giving a plain look, what I would call. So he just smiled and she took the picture and, you know, that was it. You know, I wanted to share that one. Um, there was a conversation that was uh, taking place by two other uh, members of the office clique and in the civil area, so-called civil. And, you know, I had my earbud in my left ear, but I, I suspected that they thought that I was still listening. So white people will do this on the job sometimes where they'll be talking, right? So they brought about three black females in this week for an interview on three, in the, on three individually different days. So she's like, oh, yeah, you know, had you seen that yesterday they brought in someone for an interview? And, you know. The person was, and then she stopped, you know, she stopped talking. So what she did, obviously, she was trying to uh, communicate to the other white woman that the person was black. That's what I, that's what I think she was doing at that moment. So she, she did that pause and then she just continued talking. So that was obviously something on description and the biggest description is always whether someone's a black person where I'm at. Um, 
And uh, my my last one is this is another one where you know death was wished on the you know the father of this lady's child. Like once again about the personal business. You know I recommend that she doesn't do this, but I don't really try and step in and say anything. So this black female got very angry about you know her court case, a personal business. So me and her and there and a white woman that she. Uh, so-called befriended. So she started banging on the desk. Uh, she said, this is why I wish for God to kill this man every day. You know, this is why I want him dead. You know, this is what she's saying. And, you know, I just got up and I walked out. I was like, you know, I'll see y'all tomorrow. You know what I mean? Um, and then the next day, you know, she's like saying, well, this is why I'll just pay the support to him, you know, in 11 years, he'll be 70, and then he'll just die. He'll be dead. Like, just, you know, completely just derelict on valuing this person. And, you know, that, that's, that's like I said, that's her personal situation between her and him. So he has custody, and he has an ankle monitor and all of that. And, that, you know, that's, she keeps sharing that with them. And she's considered herself a friend with this other white woman. You know, she gives this person her car keys to move her vehicle. She gives this person her own car keys for this white person to leave the office, to go out into the parking lot to move her vehicle. I've never heard of this before, you know. Um, so uh, I just wanted to share that. There was another thing I wanted to share, but that's all I'll share for now. And uh, I'll let the next person speak. Uh, thank you and appreciate it. Black brother. Black brother of hell. Context of white supremacy. Black History Month, too. George Washington. Well, that's Carter G. Woodson. Well, maybe both of them. Carter G. Woodson and George Washington Carver rolling over in their respective graves. Uh, let's see. Before we get to retired firefighter, like professionalism uh, with Halloween and uh, really Halloween Valentine's Day I'd say even really all of them but Halloween Valentine's Day and St. Patrick's Day St. Patrick's Day depending on where you are because that one involves so much drinking that's one of those where you will be oh let's go out and drink tonight we get a green beer like let's go out and drink there'll be a lot of debauchery because there's nothing you know really else to do with saint patrick today it's not any it's not anything to eat it's not me you know think to cook per se it's just let's go get drunk um but all of that debauchery like i'm putting out some kind of thinly veiled reference to oral sex like what in the world we're at the courthouse like children come through me and everything like what that's why we need to have Valentine's celebrations so that you can make those sort of remarks and now that's one we now let you come around and make some sort of uh, what they call off color that's in the word guy some sort of off color remark like that really hmm. can we get a demonstration <laughs> and then up oh, down at HR like wait a minute I thought it's we just made it down at HR this is going to be right up number one and we just can't have this I thought we 
I wouldn't even say what that would be me personally. I don't have anything to say about that. I don't want one of those. And I don't even think it's like if anybody even said anything like, is that appropriate for the workplace? Do we have minors that come into the civil area or the courthouse court area in general? Children come to work with their parents some days. I don't know. Um, Imagine that. They come in and talk about, hey, how can we make for a more professional work environment? Let's not have any uh, unnecessary work references to uh, lewd sexual acts. Shut up, Coon. Anyway, uh, what what type of suggestions? No gossiping. Oh, my Lord. Did Neely Fuller Jr. show up at the meeting? He did say it was a non-white person. He said no gossiping. How about that one? That that would make things great. Stay away from all the personal rumors and what have you. Let's just, you know, keep it professional. Keep it about workplace commentary. Let me get on my phone right now. Click members. Did you hear this coon? No gossiping. OMG, I hate black people. <laughs> he comes to add and, and if I could say one more thing. Oh my god, are you still talking? Never mind, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I didn't, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just going to keep it with the gossiping. I didn't know we could just pick pick one thing. My bad. Like, dang. Dang. And I take those kind of little veiled insults like, whoo, you are really not that concerned with what I have to say. And you're not even really that concerned about let's have a professional work environment. You like the click. You like all that. You like gossiping. Let's see said uh oh for all the pictures i'm a big opponent like this is not like seventh grade this is not picture day i didn't go get a new shirt and get a new haircut and i woke up at six o'clock this morning posing and trying out different smiles like are you serious is this like for a work idea or something like just take the picture like come on i'm not wearing a special shirt like let's roll stop trying to look all hard what what does that mean it's just my fact. I didn't think we were taking like gangster photographs. Like this is not my G unit pose. Like just take the picture. And matter of fact, wait a minute. Is this like I said, a work? Is this just some like for a birthday card or some nonsense? Because if that's the case, like, hey, we don't even have to try to look hard. Like I'm good. I will pass. Is this for the newsletter or whatever? I'm good. No photo shoots for me. Thank you kindly. It's not even important. I appreciate it. You can catch me next time. Matter of fact, don't catch me next time. I don't want to do any. I don't want to do any pictures. I've already done my turn in the newsletter. Um, let's see the. Now, when they talk about black people and they get hushed, that is so common. Uh, white people are so skilled about that sort of thing, where they have different codes, or they just can. They'll be talking all loud, and oh, that's right, we're gonna go get lunch, and that's right. Did you hear? They had hiring. They brought in, I think, three. Mm-hmm. They brought in three black, but yeah, mm-hmm. you don't say, yep, they sure did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we'll have that to look forward to new culture in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Or even if it's a black person, especially they got some troublemaker like him, they'll stop like, oh, yeah, they're having a meeting. Bring it in. More colored people got to, you know. Make sure we don't get any more of him. Yep, having a new meeting. Mm-hmm. It's going to be great. Have some new folks working with us soon. So that'll be great. Have a new hiring session. Mm-hmm. Especially if they, they, don't, they don't think you're listening because you say he had his earbud in. Like, oh, yeah, we can talk a little bit. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I'll text you more details later. Yeah. Uh, then they got the. Uh, I, all I can say, you know, victims guaranteed qualified. That's why I say when you go on these jobs, you don't think just because it's another black person or even another non-white person, period. This is not my homie. This is not my tag team partner and all that. Another victim of racism. They may hate black people, too. They may hate me. Not a surprise. White people are most to blame for all of that. All of that said, like, wow, I wouldn't care what your uh, arrangement, if you absolutely despise your prime. Now, the black male that she's talking about, he could be an absolute no count, deadbeat dad, black male rapist, crack peddler, drug pusher, child abuser, never pays alimony or support and doesn't do anything. That could be him. He could be worse than O.J. Simpson. Absolutely. That could be true. Even if that's the case, I would never be sharing that information really with anyone that I work with, white or non-white. Same reason. These are not my friends. These are not my sisters. We're not going to hang out together and they're going to console me and help me deal with this loss and make a plan and how I'm going to raise my... What are you talking about? If anything, now, the fella asked, hey, maybe we can cut down all this gossiping and rumors, you know, makes it kind of toxic in here. That's probably the type of thing that he's talking about. You share that and then the white woman runs out. Hey, show you. This no-count deadbeat dad scoundrel has done such and such and such and such and such. Didn't we tell you about those no-count black men? See? See? You tell that with the rest of them that have got me at the rest of the white women that run around and swirling and all the rest of it tragic or see see that's what you can look forward to get you a jamal just like that you heard what you said didn't you there's no re- and they're not just gonna take this like oh i hear you girl he's trifling he's trash they're just thinking wow you and him you negras that's what i expect that's what they're thinking about you that's the sort of thing that they will be sharing when it becomes promotion time and raise time and the other type of thing and even if it doesn't impact you that way just is that really what you want white people even non-white people is that what you want them talking about on their day off when they're sitting around at lunch talking about the problems that you're having with your child's father That doesn't sound constructive to me. That doesn't sound like black self-respect for me. Certainly not wishing death on another black person. The father of your child in the company of people you work with. They don't even know this fella to just be. Oh, yeah, I know he's a no count scoundrel. And oh, yeah, I wish death on it. too. They're thinking, what does this say about you, Negra, especially if they're white and racist? the confusion just further with I'm going to give this person my car keys that's another one white or non-white are you serious something happens it gets scratched even if you're just moving it you know to a different parking space in the same lot something happens it gets scratched something is left in my car and this is a white woman she gets in the car and then suspiciously finds something. Now I'm under suspicion for drugs or whatever. Like, are you serious? That's just like bizarre to me on like a billion different counts because I don't think I have ever like swapped vehicles 
with another coworker. Like, I don't remember that at any point in life, even with other black people. Like, I just wouldn't. We, it would have to be something like with him. Like, I work with my mom. Like, oh, okay. Okay, yeah. I'll, we'll switch it up. If it's not that, like, are you serious? And one, you can take this one as another one. Black people are most confused, or excuse me, black people are most informed about racism, white supremacy, what it is and how it works. Really? Carter G. Woodson say that one again. You giving your keys to your random white coworker, your car keys, that is. Carter G. Woodson again rolling over in his grave. Confusion is lethal. Uh, retired firefighter in Florida. Do you have commentary to share, sir? Oh, I was just going to uh, I was just remind uh, I, I was just going to give a report on a uh, somewhat of a uh, workplace uh, field trip, actually. That's what I think I would call uh, one of these uh, young fellas over the years that I uh, have coached. Uh, he uh, uh, actually it's not young. Uh, actually, it's 37 years old. Uh, he uh, uh, played in the National Football League for about 11 years and uh, had an exit plan uh, and uh, it's the proprietor of a uh, coffee shop uh, in uh, the downtown area of Fort Lauderdale Um, and uh, myself and and my offspring we sat in his office while he uh, basically was explaining you know parts of the business uh, has a significant number of young white people that work works for him uh, in the uh, business, you know, doing you know various things, you know that that you would normally see in a coffee shop. Uh, he explains on how the coffee he uh, the coffee that he gets comes directly from uh, the the country from where they I forgot where he said the coffee comes from, but it's not. It's not a middle person that he gets the coffee from. He gets it right from the people that that I guess pulls it out of the ground. Uh, that, that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, uh, and in turn, I was also uh, brought my offspring there so he can get a job there. <laughs> you know, uh, at the place. But uh, you know, somewhat of I guess you would call it success, success story. Uh, from that standpoint, uh, uh, I remember him as a quote unquote child, uh, teenager that I, uh, coached, uh, where he's at right now. I'm not, I'm not surprised. Uh, he was a very determined, very determined person. We used to have to throw him out of practice because he'll be hitting people in, in, on a day that we're not supposed to be doing. And we used to have to throw him out of practice. Uh, he uh, this one time where he uh, where he uh, uh, got in this accident where a jet ski jet ski uh, 
gas tank exploded, and he had burns. He had second-degree burns on his forearm, on his ears, uh, where he wasn't even supposed to be at the school. And he never missed a day of school, never missed a day of practice. Yeah, sort of never missed the game and wasn't even supposed to be playing in the game. Uh, so, and from the standpoint of putting his uh, attention towards the details and whatnot in school as well as uh, knowing the game itself. Uh, so, transfer that into a business. Uh, it's not surprising, I put it that way. It's not surprising for him to be able to do accomplish that. And, uh, I was just, uh, you know, really uh, happy to see somebody that comes through a program that I participate in to be able to uh, function that way and hire people on top of it. That's it. Thank you. Oh, that's spectacular. Hopefully he will give your offspring. He'll be able to get a, a great job. This is uh, hopefully still the early, sta- early stages. Hopefully he can get a, a job and move right on up the company. And Yeah, that's spectacular. Exit strategy. Exit strategy. Same thing with the military. Like, I already had my plan together. Get out of this. Get as much as I can. Get out safely. Exit strategy together. Very important. But Bravo. Glad to hear that. Black self-respect. And uh, I guess, yes, hopefully. Good luck. Hopefully your young fellow will, will get a great job there. Be on a great career path. Learn some uh, important things. Do some networking, too, maybe. Uh, let's see. Uh, last thing, I guess I'll get in before we wrap up. There was a report today. Um, it was, I guess it was on many sites. It was with a 19-year-old. I'll just read a little bit. Uh, they were talking about this voicemail that she has. It's a 19-year-old black female. Uh, so her voicemail, they wrote it out. I would have, if they had the audio for it, I would have just played the voicemail. So it reads. I guess this is how her voicemail sounds. Uh, what's up? What's up? What's up? 19-year-old Zanea Jones uh, sings at the beginning. Uh, it's your girl Nea, and I'm back with another banging, banking banger. Leave your number, yeah, and all that. So I guess that's her voicemail. She probably does it much, uh, much more enthusiasm than I. Right. So the report continues. Uh, the outgoing message is cheery and may even put a smile on your face on the face of most listeners waiting to hear a beat. Well, except for one hiring manager who called Zenea after she submitted a job application at her local local supermarket and left the following message. Yes, Miss Jones, I recommend it. I recommend if you apply for a job and you expect somebody to call you that you have a more appropriate response on your voicemail. The representative says in a screen captured recording of Zanea's voicemail inbox. So thank you for applying and no need to give us a call back. After hearing the message, Zanea told BuzzFeed that she felt as though the supermarket was rejecting her application over her voicemail and a similar impression was received by the over 21.9 million TikTok users who watched her video about the ordeal. Many viewers felt that her voicemail wasn't unprofessional or cause for rejection. My only response to this is, and this young lady is 19, as I said, um, 
my only response would be in a system of racism, white supremacy. This is why hopefully with this program and trying to encourage parents, talk to your children about racism, white supremacy in the workplace uh, that hopefully folks can tell people at 16, 17, 18, 19, all of that when you're starting to look for a job, maybe that if this is your phone just for your friends, your family, all that, do it up on your voicemail, whatever you want to say. If this is for people who might be calling to employ you, I would want a very boring, concise message. And it might even just be one of those where it just says, this is the number, blah, 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 and be fine. They know they got the correct number. They can leave their message. Then you can call back, respond, whatever it is. That's fine. That's all. If you, I mean, you want to go the other route, that's fine. But I mean, in a system of white supremacy, racism, race soldiers, will use any excuse you have a negro sounding name you have a negro sounding zip code you have a negro sounding voicemail any excuse oh negro not you eh. now she had just been a white teenager or if we were in a system of justice you might and this is for the supermarket it's not like this is a fortune 500 company they might say hey you're a young teenager right on for the future they might tell her exactly what I said. Like, come on in. We labor shortage anyway. You can pass background check. You haven't raped anybody. You're hired. Let's roll. <laughs> like, really, that's what it should be. Not, eh, we'll keep the labor shortage. We don't want this nigger singing on her voicemail. Like, really? But that is the system that we have. And that's why it's important. Make sure you speak with your offspring. Maybe they did have that conversation and left that part out. Or maybe she just did it, you know, willfully. It's not that big a deal. But having that conversation same thing we said a lot tonight so that you can be informed as you make your decisions about whatever am i going to the military what do i want on my voicemail whatever it's going to be how what's my exit strategy for the nfl all that jazz anywho we will be here tomorrow saturday compensatory call in 9 p.m eastern 6 p.m pacific uh, we'll catch up on what's gone down the past seven days. We'll hear about Forsyth County, Georgia, uh, and a number of other details. Uh, that'll be 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific. Much obliged for all the folks who tuned in this Friday evening. Hope it was worthy of your time and energy. Uh, all of that said, sobriety would be best under conditions of white terrorism. Uh, in addition to being sober, if you're out and about, uh, if someone is being rowdy and hostile you should be thinking that they may be armed uh, if you didn't leave your residence prepare to kill and or die exit call enforcement officers as you're vacating the premises uh, this is not a good time especially if you don't know if they got an entire armed entourage and you're by your lonely with a jar of pickles toilet paper if you're in a vehicle you are sober buckled up not on the cell phone uh, just doing the small things that we can to avoid contact with other race soldiers badge or no and we need all of our attention dangerous times uh, all of that said creator we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with 
another black person. It has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, brother. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned.